A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yes, we've got the top man, Peter Grant. How are you, mate? All right? Fantastic, Paul. Great to see you. I've got down here that Peter Grant meets the worst player he's ever coached. Did you go on with that? <laughs> Second. <laughs> Who, Rasmussen? No, no. I'm fathering him. No chance, he's a player. And by the way, I'm raging with you and Big Moga. Do you know why? Tell me. You never thanked us for the Wembley Cup, I won you. I thought you were outstanding, son. Cheers, mate. I keep telling you that, you know what I mean? You held the cup up well, you know. <laughs> Unfortunately, that was the short period of time we were there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did get us my move to... You were going to get me to Southampton, actually, I remember, on loan. And then you got us a wee move to Swindon. Got to, got to. Got, good players. As I said, there was a lot of young boys there, traffic young players, and we just felt it was an option for them to go out and play football. And I'd been, obviously, doing in England, so I knew you could play there, mm. you know, and you had the talent to play there, and you proved that. You did I play at you at Southampton when we played you Swindon now? You were no, Cardi's assistant there? I, I was not. I'd just um, left there at the time. I'd went to, I went to West Ham and then went to Norwich. My pals went to uh, Southampton. And a real top clubs, Peter Grant, brilliant. <laughs> uh, new manager at Alloa now. How are you enjoying it? Loving every moment. Um, surprised because um, the meeting with Mike came out of the blue and his enthusiasm for the club. And when I met him, the way he spoke about his club and being a supporter himself, you know, I hadn't known him. I know he was involved with Scotland, but I hadn't met him. So that was the first meeting we had with him. And he's enthusiasm for it. So I was surprised when I phoned my wife because I was only up with a t-shirt and a pair of jeans because I was dropping young Peter's car off. He was signing for Morton. And um, I was going home the next day and all of a sudden home with a job. So I was delighted and I've loved every moment of it. But that's down to the fact that the staff that's there and the people that's there because they've been open hands. They've just welcomed you. And it's been fantastic. The players have been excellent in their attitude. And I see the work they put in. Obviously, they've got their own jobs for by, but the work they put in when they come to the training ground is phenomenal, and it's a pleasure to watch them work. And you're treating it as a full time. You're in every day, aren't you? Full time. At the yeah, gym yeah, at six, yeah. you can tell me. Look yeah, at yeah. you. No, always an early start. I always find that difficult. I'm definitely a morning person, so I got up and go away to the gym early in the morning, and I get into the stadium every day. So I use it as full time because it's great. I can get to see. You. Thankfully, the clubs here have been brilliant with Celtic, Rangers, everyone. They've all invited us along to come and watch the kids when they've got games on. So I get to see the players. So uh, all the names get flung at you, but it's better when you see them. And as I say, I, I know most of them anyway, so there is no doubt of that. But it's been fantastic the way the clubs have opened their hands. You want to see a proper player get yourself to Peter Head, mate? Uh, <laughs> I've seen you a few times. <laughs> I'm going to keep you half arse stuff. That's the only problem. <laughs> uh, you're always known as a big Celtic man throughout your career. Uh, earliest memories as a fan? <sighs> Getting told not to get back after this. My, my grandfather's, both of my grandfathers run the Celtic supporters buses. One from Cleland and one from Hollytown. 
We went to play St Johnston away, old St Johnston, I think it was called Mewton, if I'm right, and went there and Celtic had beat 2-1. They said it wouldn't be getting back because it was a jinx. <laughs> and that was the way your grandfather spoke to you, never spoke to you that night, <laughs> lost 2-1. And it was ironic, I, I travelled with the first team once to the old Mewton, and I'm sure maybe Alan McCoyce was playing actually. And um, went to the old Mewton and um, I went there and I thought to myself, that was my first involvement with the first team. So I was saying, please don't have the same memories. But thankfully Celtic won that day. And then, as I say, it was great. I, I love going to watch them. I was I'd never seen them that often, actually, because we used to play quite a lot on the Saturdays. Right. So the thing was in the training, and the Tuesday evening or whatever, you would run across to Celtic Park and you seen the lights on. So that was what was brilliant, training at Barrafield. When you seen the lights on, you could get around and get the last 25 minutes to see the games you couldn't beat. Who was, the, who was your heroes growing up? Growing up, Bobby Murdoch. That was my earliest memory, Bobby Murdoch, midfield player. Just loved him, the way he could pass the ball, the way he could move. But that team, that phenomenal. Then you don't Kenny Dalglish. And then I was fortunate enough to play with my hero, Danny McGrain. You know, well, that we'll was, he was my favourite, you know, him. And then, as I say, God rest him, Tommy Burns. They were the two guys I looked up to for day one since I was in full time at Celtic Park. Um, because they were the guys I seen in the gym early in the morning. And if you remember the gym at Celtic Park, it was a, a nice box. <laughs> weights were opposite sides, so you'd have a 10 kilo on that side and a 5 kilo on that side, and you'd be turning it round. <laughs> but other arm you would use, you know. So, but it was phenomenal watching him, Danny sitting against the wall, just doing his thigh work because you say we never had to. He's still done them when we were reserve team manager, still done the oh, old neck press ups. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was phenomenal. I mean, we didn't know you turned up as a professional footballer, you trained and you went home because you never had gym work. Mm. And I used to watch Danny and Tommy all the time. They'd be putting coats on, they got the stereo in the Celtic because it was that cold, that cold there, you know. Yeah. And just watching them, as I say, Danny used to do the all one exercise, sitting against the wall all the time. And he used to say that was to make sure he'd protect his knees. And that always stuck in my mind, you know. But the professionalism was phenomenal, apart from the, the fact that they're top quality. So did you still wear like the Celtic bed sheets on your bed when you were full-time at Celtic? Oh, absolutely. Did you? Yeah, huh? Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. I was always <laughs> still, still a poster. Still a poster. Listen, I was cleaning their boots after 100 games at that particular well, yeah, time. Yeah, is that what happened? Yeah, you were still yeah, cleaning yeah, boots yeah, after 100 games? 100 games. I played 100 games and I was cleaning boys that weren't even in the first-team squad. I was cleaning their boots and that because I loved doing the job for by that bit. That's what, for me, it was. It was a full-time job for me, and I just loved it, you know, and I'd have been embarrassed to go home, you know, and the manager's like, what are you doing? And I'm still cleaning all the players' boots and chapping the door again. And my teammates, and asked them, listen, can I take the boots in now and take the kit in? Saying the kit up. Because I loved it. I loved being there, you know. I loved being there, and I knew one day, even as a young man, I knew one day it would end. So I wanted it to last forever. Brilliant. Uh, how did you get picked up by the club at first? I was fortunate enough, I was playing with Aloysius Primary. Um, school teacher, John Bradshaw, was a fantastic uh, teacher but a fantastic man. And we played in the three cup finals, um, Timmins Cup, McGreevy Cup, and there was another one I can't remember the name of. And we played the three finals, we played at Tannock side in the three finals. And I played as a centre forward, believe it or not. And we won the three finals, and John Clark was originally from Chapel Hill, John. And I scored a hat-trick in the final, we won 3-2. Scored another final, we scored two goals, and we won 5-1, and scored two goals another one. And then went to Celtic Boys Club, at that time, I asked to sign an S4 in Celtic. Delighted to do that, obviously, but never ever played centre forward again in my life. Why not? Don't know. Don't know. First year at Celtic Boys Club, I got played of the season, a centre half. Right. Big Peter Grant. You know <laughs> what I mean? So I was a centre half for the first year, never ever played there again. Moved us into the middle of the pitch. Who put you into the middle of the pitch? Can you remember who it was? No, then? I just moved us in because uh, Joe Ferry. Joe Ferry was my school, um, uh, Celtic Boys. Football, huh? uh, absolutely. And he was for Cosice, a fantastic man he was and a great coach. And he moved us to centre-back, as I say, the first year. 
And um, I was top goal scorer, believe it or not, at centre back. I was top goal scorer for the team. And then he moved us into the middle of the pitch. And ever since then, I was a midfield player. And right. it was ironic, I think, as a centre forward, never played there again. Uh-huh. Who, who else did you come through at that time? On the ground staff with me, when I, my, my first joined the ground staff was Johnny Sludden. Um, John Sludden, was John, it? Oh, Sludden, fantastic, yeah. fantastic my guy. Coach, yeah, great, great player as well. Great touch you had. And you had Paul, only Archdeacon and myself. It was the smallest ground staff ever. Another boy called Stevie Jarden. Um, Stevie was figuring out good man as well and all of a sudden it was left with me and Paul uh, and Oni and Sluddy and then Paul's boots were in one day to go to Aberdeen and we were telling him he was a bit embarrassed you know as if you need to put your boots in there you know what nearly mocking God rest him he was like a f- fantastic guy as well funny funny man and nearly put his boots in and Paul thought he was winding him up because he was going to play with the first team mm-hmm. and then um, Paul went away and then Paul went off the ground staff and it was really me and Oni Oni Archdeacon it was left on itself the only two years you get good laughs on the ground staff oh some of the best days of my life that's how I loved it you know you'd Nearly with all the tricks of the trade, you know, even for, when Decani on that came, nearly would have the old Vaseline on the head and bounced the old ping pong ball catch on his head. If Paolo <laughs> tried to do it for two weeks and Paolo couldn't do it, couldn't understand that nearly had Vaseline on his head. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he'd done all the old tricks like that, like flinging the water all over the floor and getting on his stand with the fire extinguisher. Kidding on, it was a dryer, so only standing with the fire extinguisher. I'm going to plug it in, son. He's way around the corner for about 10 minutes, and only standing with the fire extinguisher, <laughs> waiting to dry the floor. You know? <laughs> so oh, brilliant, eh? young men, you were just sucked in because you'd never have said, No, I'm not doing that. Yeah. You know? With the, old, with the older players, stitches oh, up as well. Myself. They were killing themselves. Well, we, <laughs> when we were in at first year, I can imagine it. You had Johnny Doyle, God rest him. You know, Johnny Doyle was a character. Uh, Johnny Lacken, you know, was he was unbelievable. Uh, you had Tommy Burns, you know. And as I said, I always gave them the respect to chap in the door. I would never walk in and they guys, even though in the manager moved into the dressing room with the guys as a player. And I still felt, inti- excuse me, intimidated with them because they were such special guys, you know. And um, But they would always wind you up to fever pitch and you were always frightened because nearly, if they left their boots untied, or sorry, tied up, he would make sure you didn't clean them. If their socks were inside out, you wouldn't even pick them up. So you'd go and put them in their place for that was our training kit the next morning. And you'd be absolutely shitting yourself, you know, because these boys were going to kill you. If you'd say, my boots not for, well, nearly told us. And nearly wouldn't do it for them. So Neil Mocking would not, would no, not no, clean their no, boots no. if they never untied no, them? No, never. Any mock on them, they had the bang of it, said, oh, it's no, you're not, it's no your job. Tell them to open their laces. If they don't own their laces, they'll be left like that. They'd be soaking wet. They're same with their kit. If their kit was inside, it'd be hung back up that way. Nearly put it back in and be standing at the door that way in the name in the morning saying anything to us. You know, so. How times have changed. And that was yeah. the way it was. And it, that's why I enjoyed it so much. And it's the things that stay with me forevermore. Wrapping your kit up. And that's why it drives me crazy when I see him lying about, you know, because that was the way we were brought up. There had to be spotless before you went anywhere. Now, it was every day, the, the showers had to be showered down, cleaned. We'd never done the terrace and anything like that. It was all with the kit that had to be sparkling, hung back up. And you know what nearly was like? So if it was a heavy tops, you know what they were like then? You put them back up, you just put them in the dryer, mother of God, they could walk on their own. You know, <laughs> the boys would be slotting you the next day, you know, and you're like, oh, panicking because nearly, when you'd shout, nearly, nearly would come around, then that would, you'd be safe. safe it was unbelievable. But great times, fun times, and as I say, times that I'll remember forever. Brilliant. You spoke about Paul's debut, let's speak about yours. Game against Rangers at Ibrox 1984. Did you have any idea you might feature? No, I hadn't a clue. I hadn't even trained with the first team. Um, really? No, I hadn't trained with the first team. I was away at Mass. We are playing Airdrie Reserves in the afternoon at Celtic Park. And I always went to Mass in the morning. And I was away at Mass and I came back in. My mother says to us, listen, son, you've, you've just had a phone call there. You've been to Celtic Park a little bit earlier. So I thought, right, OK, must be, the game must be earlier or something. No, having an inkling. Went to Celtic Park and... We, Jimmy, God rest him, and Bobby Lennox were walking by as two fantastic guys, and Bobby was my coach. 
Um, great, great help to me. And I'm walking by them and they just said to me, it's all right, son, you'll get your first breather about 10 o'clock tonight. And I just laughed because it was day two. You know, it was a nervous laugh more than anything else. And I walked in and wee Brian Scott says to me, my gaffer wants to see um, uh, physio room. So I walked in, nobody's there, the next thing Davey comes in. All right, son, I says, I he says, um, listen, you're playing over at Ibrox today and if I didn't think you were good enough, you wouldn't be playing. Walk straight back out. I started crying and saying, you fucking joke. You know, <laughs> I spoke to him, you know. I said, joking, you know, and he went like, no, nope. just walked out and left me. And that was it. I was honestly, God, I was shaking like a leaf. I was crying and everything, thinking, what am I going to do? So I'd go back out and tell my mum and say, listen, you know, like my dad, no. um, he was walking around the house distillery and somebody got to him. You couldn't get tickets for Celtic Rangers games, you know. And somebody, one of my neighbours, um, went and gave me his ticket. Okay. to go and see the game at Ibrox because we never went to Ibrox because my grandfather had always said to us you're not spending money to go there because that gives them money for players <laughs> <laughs> you know that gives them money for players so anywhere else you can go and watch a game but you're not watching at Ibrox how did Davy Hay know that you were ready who would have been a reserve manager maybe Bobby Bobby well, Lannis remember that time you'd only 13 players wouldn't it you'd only right. 13, 14 maybe would go and whatever and believe it or not I think the week before I played at Aloha, uh, we played a bounce game at Aloha or something and I scored two goals there that day and I always remember that after that I went back there and then all of a sudden I was running around about them but no, not, never in a million years yeah, that I think yeah. I was going to be involved with them, you know, anytime soon, you know, because I didn't think I was good enough, Yeah, you always felt that and I say, get that call, as I say, I've never been so upset and emotional as I probably was at that particular time, I was tears, shaking, whatever and as I said, the camera was was probably on the pitch. Well, that was up to about the second minute. But Ali McCoy stopped me with six studs in the throat. Did he? You know, just came in and twice he couldn't tackle anybody. Yeah. But I think it was one of the markers to let you know, yeah, yeah. you know, welcome. You know, how, was, how was your nerves before the game? The changing room was there people yeah, that helped? No, I can were imagine. Come and talk to you, the no, older players. No, no, well, I was very fortunate. Danny and all that were there playing. You know, so all of a sudden I'm looking about the dressing room and I've got Danny McGrain and all that playing along me, and I'm thinking, this is surreal. You know, and it was unbelievable. You just. You felt emotional because you were in there dressing room, never mind anything else. But just the fact you run out, like you Peter McCloy and that playing for Rangers, you know, guys that you'd watch for many, many years in old firm games playing against Celtic. So it was something special, and I'm fortunate enough I'd done well in the game. And as I say, um, from then on, I played the games that I did. But a 1 0 defeat? Yes. How was, it, how was the dressing room after a 1 0 defeat at Ibrox? As it always is. <laughs> you know, catastrophic. People want to fight with each other. You know, blaming each other for the goal. It was a Bobby Williams no overhead kick. He couldn't have placed it with his hands uh, any better in the top corner. Um, but, as you say, when you lose to your rivals, there's no worse feeling. Who would have been the ones in that team that would have got at each other? Danny McGrain? No, no, Danny was, Danny was very um, calm and composed. When he spoke, everybody knew, you know, when Danny spoke. Yeah. Because you listened to him. A lot more, were a lot more emotional. You'd have the Tommies and that emotional. You know, myself and that would be emotional. Obviously, I was a young man, but that was the way I was when I grew into it. Um, but they were all special characters. They all had different types to them. You know, you had David Proven in that, in that team who was a wonderful, wonderful winger. You know, you had real big characters. They were all men. Mm. You know, that was the one thing I was looking, I'm looking about the dressing room. You know, you could have went to war with them. You thought, mm -hmm, I'll take we'll that. Do all right, yeah, we'll do all right, you know. And so it was a big disappointment for them, you know. Uh, Davey here, as you said, was the manager. How, how tough was he? Because I've heard that he was a bit of a madman, wasn't he? Oh, Davey was crazy. He, he, <laughs> would, he would rather fight you, <laughs> would he? you know, but he loved fun. He loved you having fun. He knew what you were representing, worked you really, really hard, you know, in your training. 
always knew what you were representing me, David, you know, and she said he used to call me quite an assassin, I was led to believe, and you could see that. Uh, again, Paul McStay, you two used competing for the centre midfield spot. Was that tough as a young kid competing with Paul, or was it never competitive? No, we were never competitive between us because there was no comparison. You know, he was light years ahead of me as a footballer, um, so it was never us. We played, I'd say, played 99% of my games with Paul, more than anybody else, you know, so it was never a competitive. I had to adjust my game to suit Paul. That's for Paul, because he was all could obviously open doors and whatever, but I became the more the organiser, you know, and the disciplined one. But I was very good at getting in the box, but I stopped doing that. I mean, I had a good, good running in the box, running in the box late, done that all my career, even when I went to midfield as a youngster. Scored a hell of a lot of goals doing that. So my game changed. That the frustrate you thought that you had to change your game? No, because... I wanted to play, mm. you know, I wanted to play. And I was a very good organiser, I'll say that myself. I was a very good organiser when I was a young man. You know, obviously Peter the Pointer became massive on it. But that was massive way that I played the game, you know. I, I understood the game for a young age because I didn't think it was good enough. As a young player, I, was, I knew it was, I knew it was a bit different. Um, but, but as I say, I played different positions. But I knew everybody's position on the pitch. I think that was probably my talent. If people talk about talents, other ones had my talent was... I knew what the outside left had to do. I knew what the right back had to do. I knew what the left back had to do. I knew what the blooming goalie had to do. Mm. You know, I knew their job. So I'd be shouting on the pitch, get in, tuck in, get back in, blah, blah, blah. So that was my job and I really enjoyed it. And I, listen, I'd have done anything to be in the team. Mm. That was the way it was. I was very, very fortunate. And as I say, every day I attained it as a blessing because I knew how lucky I was. See, when you were a young man, you said 17, 18, you got in the first team. See the guys you were up against to get into the team? Would you... Would you be a type that would go and smash them? Oh, absolutely. 100%. You know, that's not, I was playing against men. You know, at that time, some outstanding Celtic players, and you talk about Murdo McLeod and all that. Dave ended up putting Murdo on the bench and then moving Murdo and going to Dortmund and whatever. Terrific players, you know, real top men and won trophies with Celtic. You know, real, real good players. How so, did they take that that you'd came in and take their place? Were they all right with it or were they? Well, at the end of the day, it was dog eat dog. It always yeah. was. You never had big squads. You know, it's not like nowadays. You have 35 and you maybe carry a bag in every mm. two a year. You know, you maybe be seen in the first team dressing room. Now, at that particular time, there was 13, 14. They'd probably use about 16 in the season. Uh, that was the way it was because you never had big squads and if you get in the team you stayed in there, there was no such thing as a rest. If you were out the team you were dropped. Yeah, that was <laughs> it was as simple as that. Don't worry, you're not going to rest. It didn't matter how many games you'd played. And did it no matter Davey here what age you were? No. So no. You, would, you would have that faith just to put you in ahead of him? Well, he did it. He'd done it, you know, yeah. and that's what it all kicked on for me and I was very, very fortunate. I was I was in with some special guys playing along with me and I had Tommy, you know, these playing had really stark, obviously, in the later years. I'd real experienced players, you know, around about you'd pack. He was in the team for a long time at that particular time. They were all coming through, and I spent probably 10 years playing with most of them, apart from Danny. Danny probably retired about two or three years later, mm. playing with Celtic, I mean. Um, but the rest of them were all there for a big period of time. So I had men round about us, you know, I think that's always important. But men understood Celtic, mm. you know. And Tommy said it many, many times. He said, Did you enjoy playing for Celtic? He said, Enjoy it's probably a different question. He said, I love playing for Celtic. He said, Enjoyment? He said, I'm not so sure. Because it meant so much to us, you know, yeah. it meant so much. And everything you had to do was based on living your life. That way people talk about sports science and that and then. Tommy would be eating, and Danny would be eating porridge and bananas, and I'd be looking at him, well, what's porridge and bananas? What are they eating that for, you know? I'd be still wanting to eat fish and chips on a mm. Friday night because we didn't know any the better, you know? So that was the way it was. And all of a sudden, you started to change your diet a little bit without sports science because you knew you had to be fit, you had to be strong, yeah. you had to do that, you know, to be able to play at the so level. So they were before their time then, oh, eh? absolutely. eating health oh, Absolutely. And I've seen Tommy the other side of Tommy when I was a young player at Celtic, Tommy had knocked back his contract because I think Arsenal had wanted him and I think he thought he was getting treated badly as we all think at times, you know, especially if you've come through. 
And Tommy um, never went to Arsenal. The Celtic never turned him on pre-season. And he came in like, Cruzo, you know, on a big bird and all that, really heavy for pre-season. I remember him doing pre-season with us. And I'm thinking, this is Tommy Burns, one of my heroes. He's let himself go, you know, mm. pre-season. But he just downed tools because Celtic, had, uh, he felt that uh, no giving the respect that he was due. Mm -hmm. And that shows you a different type of Tommy. So he understood these certain scenarios, but it meant so much to him. Then within, excuse me, weeks, he was back to his normal Tommy Burns and what a wonderful, wonderful player. And you say you and him were so close. Did you just hit it off straight away? Yeah, I was very fortunate because about 15, I was in the ground staff at 15, and I left school at 15, stroke 16. And that was just straight onto the ground staff. And ever since then, you know, I watched the way he went about his business. I think he noticed the way I went about it. I'd be following him and Danny about, you know, where are they going now, the gym? I'm going to get up and see what he's doing. And I loved that, you know, because I always felt, and I knew Tommy was mad Celtic, you know. So that's why he was a big hero of mine. So I'm thinking, well, what does he do? How does he get about his life? And I couldn't have picked a, a better guy to follow around about, you know, that was one of my heroes. What's the best part you've had for him? Best part, he just... I just think everything he'd done, you, you know what he's like, mad singer. Every time the music came on, we used to wind up and say, right, we'll, what will we sing? We'll start whistling a song. And you could tell within seconds, Tommy wanted to sing it as well, you know. <laughs> so you just like, and then we'd more betting each other in the corner, you know, saying, right, how? I'll say five seconds. The other one would say four seconds before he sang. Mm -hmm. And he didn't have a clue, you know. Mm -hmm. But he was such a, such a good man, you know. He was just an unconscious comedian. We went Christmas night out, one usual. You go away, everybody's out, fancy dress. You go to a hotel somewhere. So you go up there and have your private drinks, not like yourselves. So we do, or we can have the carry out and set it up ourselves in a room. Um, so we get there, and within half an hour, bear in mind the young ones have been out all day, within half an hour, Tommy's there. Tommy wasn't a drinker in any shape or form. So we've, we're all kind of a, okay. We've had a few drinks, so we're a wee bit giggly. And we're in, and the next thing, the seats are lined up for the, the old boat race, you know, you all day the old boat race. Next thing, TB's drinking pints of white wine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean drinking as if of water. So what are you uh, Or pints off it. Oh. So I'm looking at him and thinking to myself, he's kidding on you. I'd not even say five minutes later, ten minutes later, Tommy dives right through all the, the chairs, right across all the chairs. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? TB, he doesn't drink. Da, da, da. So that was fine. So we get a taxi for him. Bear in mind, we've only been there half an hour. So <laughs> get a taxi for <laughs> the taxi takes him back to the house in Newton Mearns. Taxi driver chaps the door. Rosemary opens the door. Hello, he says, hey, Tommy Burns. He went, yeah. Sorry, son, his taxi's already been. It's just ten away in. He went, oh, I'm bringing him back. You know, right, that was Tommy, but no, was hilarious. But oh, what, what a guy! Um, special, special man. Still miss him to this day. He played a partner in the club's most iconic days, uh, Love Street '86. Uh, did you know how old much hope prior to that? No, believe it or not, we'd went on a run. I'd missed two weeks prior to this in Mern game. I'd done a, a slight hamstring strain, so I'd come back. And we played, I think, Mother in midweek. And we beat Mother at Fir Park. And I'm sure it was. Because uh, we'd go on a run of games, but we'd have some games to catch up on. But we needed to win them all. So I'm fit enough, thankfully, to go on the bench at Love Street. And we go on the bench at Love Street. Davey was the manager at the time. And... I'm warming up behind the goal and I always remember it, you know, and the scores were coming through and blah, 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 but it was an eerie silence. You know, it was an eerie, eerie silence. It was unbelievable. You're four nothing up and one of the best goals ever scored early in the game. And we're playing exceptionally well. We knew we could beat St Mern five. We knew we could do that. I think it was four goals in the or something, but we knew we could beat, but we could not see Hearts losing. 
they had an incredible run. They've been on an incredible run, mm. you know. So I've come on the pitch, I don't know, 25 to go. Uh, 25 to go or something like that, you know. And so that was fine. Must have been searching for another goal, putting me on for Danny, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, as I say, about 25 to go, I've come on. And just, I, I always remember, I'm sure it was Jim Stewart, it was in goals, and Jim had the ball in his hands, and the next thing it erupts. And you could actually see him. If you watch it back until then, you actually see him as if what's happened. Because there was nothing happening on the pitch, and Patty was sort of no sure of what was happening, you know. And then the goal scorer, who was it, scored Kid. And they're thinking, Kid of Hearts. Because Walter's playing for them. Right. Albert's playing for Dundee. So I think, oh, kid, he plays for Hearts. So it was all this that was going yeah, on. Yeah. Then the next thing you see, David Proven coming out the dugout scene. He's dead nice. And it's an iconic picture. You'll always remember them doing this, 2 nothing. Just went 2 nothing in the last thing. Can you remember that feeling? When oh, unbelievable. For me, won my first championship. Oh. And as I say, I always remember it. After the game, I was going to Fort William. I was player of the year in Fort William. Me and Why Big in Paul. Fort William? It was a player of the year. Oh, uh, Fort William. Uh, so me and Big Paul McGugan were going to it. Big Paul was playing, and uh, we were going there. So we'd taken the car to Love Street. I think we'll need to go straight direct. So we built in time for the people up there. So get there. We win the league, don't we? So <laughs> for driving back to Celtic Park first, you know what I mean? Mm. And then we got up to Fort William, and it was unbelievable. Going back to Celtic Park, the buses and that were turning up at Love Street after the game. It was quite bizarre, absolutely watching. And it'll never happen again. I mean, I still think we won the league in points, but we didn't. We won it in gold, I think, you know, so it was bizarre, but we thoroughly deserved it. We were outstanding, but Hearts were phenomenal that season. Phenomenal, I think they had an unbelievable run of 22 games unbeaten or something, you know. Wow. But we always had that belief. I always remember that third part game was always a game. We went there and won that game, and it was exceptional, you know, performance. And the team just knew that we could score the goals. So you're always hoping for that wee bit of lady luck, as I say, and thankfully it did. You said about crying, would you get emotional when you first league one for Celtic? I get emotional all the time. Do you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Was your family in there that day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously. But listen, everything I'd done, you know, for Celtic, it was a dream, you know. You, my, my debut was at uh, Ibrox, and people always talk about that. But mine was in the following week. We played Hibs at Celtic Park. That was me, mate. Could I just take me away in the big box? Uh -huh. You know, I wanted to run out at Celtic Park to walk on. That was the only thing I ever dreamt of. And then it was made special after it in the respect of... My grandfather was in a wheelchair and mother grandfather was there. My grandfather Peter, grandfather Johnny. Both of them were at a game I didn't know. Um, and they were the ones that came to my first games. They got you know, to and, see you one night. And they got me, no, 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 to make, after, the week after my debut. So they'd lived, obviously, to see their grandson play, for, play Celtic. for Celtic. And that was me then. So the Hibs game was more important to me than the Rangers game because right. it was at Celtic Park, mm -hmm. you know. But then to go and win the league the following year, as you say, that was it. But... You always thought playing with a Celtic or a Rangers at that particular time, you maybe lose one season and then go the next season. You know, obviously we got to eight before we won again, and then I went all the season without winning. Yeah. So that let you appreciate everything that you've done. As you say, you were a massive Celtic fan. Uh, what was your reaction when you had Billy McNeil was getting the Celtic job? Oh, I was delighted. He was a phenomenal hero. You know, if you talk about Celtic heroes, you look up to Jockstein and you look up to Billy McNeil. That's the way you look at them. The manager of the 67 team and the captain, you know, and that team were all fantastic players, but he led them. But the thing that stood out with Billy was when he walked into the place, people say, oh, it was this, this coach or that a coach. It wasn't that. He walked in and there was a presence. The way Big Jock walked in, there was a presence about them, you know. It didn't matter what time of the day you see him, he was immaculate. 
He was immaculate. You've seen the way, the presence, the way he held himself as a Celtic manager. And that was the way he was. And when he came back and kept me in the side, and they say, when you've got one of your heroes, you know, for that team, you know, still picking you and whatever, it was a, a great partner back to me. And obviously gave you things as leadership, give me a hard time at times, obviously. He'd leave you out at times. But um, I'd fallouts with him. Um, but as and I why said, was that? Because you were in the plane? Well, he left me out one game and I didn't deserve to be left out. And I thought he left me out because I was one of the younger ones. Typical me. Went and seen him. Went and seen him, you know. <laughs> and he sort of looked at me again, you know, one of the ones. But that was me. And I think all the managers that will ever say to you that if I felt hard done by, I would always go and say to them, I, I would never want it to go and clip behind the boys' backs. I'd moan about it behind the boys' backs. I'd go straight to the door and say to them. And they wouldn't like it and I wouldn't like it. But... At the end of the day, that's what you had to do because I couldn't go home and sit with him in my stomach because I'd be worse the next day. Yeah. Did, did you never have a wee second thought of going in because it was Billy Mayer? Did that not? Oh, I had second thoughts all the time. Once you're walking along, the steps were getting shorter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're saying, I hope he's in the first time because if I, I don't, if I go in and he's no one, I'm not going back probably. But you had to. And I, I got most respect for them. And I, I think that was what they, they realised I had for them. I got most respect for them. And I'd never again demand anything. I'd ask the reason why. You know, okay, I disagree with you, but. I'll make sure it doesn't happen again because I'll probably get moved out again and that yeah. was the way it was and I think they respected that and as I say I was fortunate enough that everyone had picked me constantly so I was very fortunate in that way Again you and Paul McStay become the mainstay in the team um, what was it? What was the partnership like were, were you partly off the pitch or was it Yeah we were we were, we were friendly off the pitch I was obviously I got to know Paul when I went in full time and as I say he wasn't on the ground staff that long so all of a sudden he was in the first team up to the first team dressing room and then he was playing so but we seemed to click you know he was Single at the time I was, we were all single. So the single boys would go together, as you know yourself. And the football, that's what happens. You know, the married, the older ones, as I say, because it was a senior team. I was yeah. more in. Most of the guys were married or had girlfriends, so we were the younger ones. So we went away on holiday and that together and whatever. But um, no, he was a special guy, quiet, you know, unassuming. But not in a couple of drinks when he and came. Who was it he turned into when he was drinking? Felipe Bordeaux. That was him. <laughs> What's that on? Because as soon as he did a glass of wine, he'd say himself, "I'm Felipe Bordeaux." And that's it. Was, we like, where's this guy come from? <laughs> Bear in mind, he was the quietest guy you could ever get. And uh-huh. he would just sit there killing himself and just do that by a glass of wine. And we'd be in a hysteric show because Probably. it was so unlike him, you know. Uh-huh. And that's so, so even sometimes I'll say, all right, Philippe. I mean, I just say off, that's what I call off him. Cuff, uh-huh. Philippe, you know. Um, but he, he was a great man, a fantastic, fantastic player. As I say, I shared room with him for many, many years. You know, we got to know each other's traits. And last year, actually, it was the first time I'd seen him in a long time because he obviously he'd moved to Australia and, we're down in Annan of all places watching um, two boys, two boys uh-huh. uh, Chris and uh, Raymond. So they were playing at Annan and the two turned up to the car park. We couldn't believe it. Bumped into each other. So it was the first time I'd seen them for years. And fortunate enough, it's, it's quite bizarre actually. The two boys are sharing digs together Grant now. And, the and they're playing in the midfield for Clyde, you know. Really so and they turned up the same day to train and never met each other. And oh, really? They, they right? had never met each other. Raymond was moved away when he was only, what, nine months. I think Chris was six or seven months older than uh, Raymond, but we'd moved to England. So Raymond spent most of his career in England, obviously, and his life in England. And then they went into training the same night. It was unbelievable. He said, there was a wee boy called Chris asking for you, and he's sort of looking at me. He said, Chris, I went, no, he's second. And he went, Mick, Mick, McStay or something. I'm like, no, this is bizarre. And he went, Chris McStay. I went, no, Paul's boy, because it can't be Paul's. He said, no, that's him, because he's from Australia. I went, you're kidding me on. So, wow. uh, and they're the best of friends, and they're, they share digs now together. You know, the so coach, my kid, is out Clyde, they're yeah, that's uh, a, he's good. They're good boys, and he's a, he's a fantastic boy for his father. You know, his father should be proud of him. Yeah. Uh, do, were you his minder on the pitch? If somebody smashed Paul, oh, would you deliberately go and get them? 
I don't need to smash Paul, maybe to smash anybody. <laughs> no, no, listen, my game was about winning the ball back and giving it to the good players. You know, that's the way I always looked upon it. And I wanted to be the best ball winner they possibly could be, the best organiser. I wasn't the most skillful, I didn't think. I could pass my, the ball to my own team. That was a, a skill I, I felt I had. I could give it to the good players. You know, so when they were open, I could give them it quickly, but I did win it back for them. But do you feel you're underrated at Celtic? Oh, listen, that's people's opinions of what you are as a footballer. You know, I know the job I've done. And the biggest thing, I, when I look back now, people always say after your career finishes and whatever, you look back and the things I look back on, I say every manager picked me. A captain Celtic at times. You know, I played for Scotland. You know, did I ever see myself as an international player? Never in a million years. Really? Never, yeah. Oh, never in a million years did I ever see myself as an international player. And I got caps. And I think I went on against England. Well, that was my debut against England. And I got my of the match. And I'm thinking, it didn't mean anything because I just felt I wasn't a top, I thought the top, top players play for the international in their country. And I didn't think I was anywhere near that. So I was fortunate enough to do all that. And as I say, all the managers picked us. And I look back now and I even get the question wrong. I'm saying there about the old Firm game and because it's a question someone asked at a night I was at um, was who made their debut in an old Firm game and in an old enemy game. I'm sitting thinking Joe Craig and whatever, you know, I'm trying to think all the players. <laughs> yeah. They're all laughing and what are you laughing at? It was you. Because it didn't mean anything because was, my focus was always about the next game so I didn't even take that into consideration. Yeah. You know? But that was, I was fortunate enough you go back with me things like you go back and you, your career finishes you look back and you think well, well I've done okay. Right, okay, on to the centenary year. What was the feeling before that season started? Was there ever a meeting and said, listen, we need to do this this year or was it just go and, go and play? No, well, we were the same every year because you knew what you were representing. You were representing the supporters and you were representing that fantastic club. And we had to make sure every time you turned up to training and every time you played, you had to be your best. We knew probably the Celtic supporters who were brought up knew it was a special year. It was probably a wee bit harder even that for Tommy and that because they were older. And I think the older you get, you take more of these realisations in. Mm. For us, it was, we have to do it. But if you remember the last game before pre, uh, the last game of pre-season, we got humped 5-1 with Arsenal. Uh-huh. I mean humped. Um, and I think everybody was going to be trepidation into the new season. Um, how bizarre that was. And that's why people talk about pre-season games and pre-season fixtures. What do they mean? If it meant the same as we felt at that particular time, and a certain Martin Hayes, I think, scored a couple of goals that day right. uh, for Arsenal. But I mean, they gave us an absolute doing. I mean, worried? Did that worry you going into the season? Oh, absolutely. I don't think it just worried us. <laughs> it worried everybody. Yeah, yeah. The punters and whatever, because we were getting pelters after it. Um, rightly so. But then we went on and had such a special season, you know. And, but we had special players in that group. That was a group probably as tight as you're ever going to get, you yeah. know, and a group of players. And people talk about the camaraderie in a football club. We were all fantastic friends, you know, and we were a young group, we had a senior party as well, but we all mixed together. But the training, Who was that, don't they? I think the older ones, like Tommy and that, you know, because Tommy and that was in it, Billy made some great signings, but Billy made some great signings, and Billy Stark was a wonderful, wonderful player for Celtic. Came and done an exceptional job. Um, we used to call him the ghost because he always used to ghost in at the back post and score mm. on big occasions. And he, as I say, he was a phenomenal player for Celtic. We had Big Mick round about the dressing room. You had uh, Tommy, you had Packy. So you'd senior players, but you had a hardcore of younger ones as well. You had Anton Rogan, Derek White, myself, you know, we're Paul. We were younger, but we knew what it meant. You know, mm. we, we all knew what it meant. So we were in there and you, you, you'd bought a couple other players round about the group. And we just seemed to click. I mean, for the first day of the season, we went and we just kicked on and we get better and better and better. 
then we just turned up to games actually thinking how many are we going to win the Scored day see, like, see playing for Celtic that centenary year everyone thinks it's the best job in the world but how hard is that pressure knowing that it was massive it was massive can everybody... you enjoy it now after every final whistle yeah. because predominantly we won and we'd played exceptionally well because we were that sort of team we played really really well you know getting some massive results but then there was a couple of bizarre ones and if I'm right we played Morton at home and I think Big Roy scored a penalty in the, like, the 94th minute to win and I think we won 1-0 and we played in the Scottish Cup and the boy missed a fantastic chance hit the bar I think it was to put us out and I think he went away to Australia the day after it from right the boy that missed the chance but you bunged, bunged them didn't you <laughs> but that's what I'm saying <laughs> but they close shaves uh-huh. that was the difference you know and that's why I say to players no, you never know how close you are you know it seems a million mile away at times you never know how close you are you've got to keep digging in mm-hmm. And we did it that time and we went to a replay, I'm sure, against Hibs in the Scottish Cup as well. I think we drew 0-0 or something at Celtic Park and then Big Starkey scored away from home. Um, and these games were special, but we could go and we could play. We had men, and, but we were a fantastic football side. But the closer we were getting with McAvenny. How was McAvenny? Come on, what a guy. He comes on the show all the time. Well, listen, I, 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 I was blessed, as I said to you, some of the strikers I've been fortunate enough to play with. And I look at... There's four that Tommy had. You had Van Hoydonk, Cadetti, you had Tom, Decanio. I had Nicholas, McAvenny, Morris Johnson, Brian McClare, to name just wow. some of them. And I say Maca was the best. He tells me that as well. No, because <laughs> I know, the reason I say he was the best, because I thought he had everything. Mm. Right foot, left foot, strong as a bull, good in the air. But a, a proper leader of men, you know what I mean? Was he oh, right? yeah, he was on that pitch. And you knew when you were on that pitch, you had Frank McAvenny on your team. You were all right. Because he obviously is known as a joker or that, but would he be on it when it comes to football? Huh? Well, joker, listen, I'd be out sweating my nuts off doing a warm-up, coming in sweating, because you've done the warm-ups on your own then, you yeah. know this, uh, like everybody lining up with each other. Oh, so you'd just warm-up yourself? Oh, you'd warm-up right, yourself. Okay. We'd never ever done or- organised warm-up. You'd kidding us <laughs> on. You'd come in and Mac and be like that. And it was the same with Mo. Mo was like exactly saying, they would open the magazine and say, Granny, who are we playing today? We are motherable. <laughs> <laughs> they would go like that. Because the manager was talking about the opposition, so talk about who? How much are we going to win with the day? That was oh, eight yeah. two. They had an unbelievable confidence about them. But Mac, as I say, they were all wonderful, wonderful players. But Mac, of any, I just thought it everyone. Wow. What's a night out like, uh, Frank? I was out, I was out on Sunday, actually. What a night it was. But what was it like back then? Oh, <laughs> oh when you walked in there, that was it. Everybody knew you were there. Because uh-huh. Mac had that, you know, he's that natural blonde hair. So, <laughs> <laughs> Ginger, isn't he? You know, so he had that natural blonde hair. So that was a giveaway right away. But they were the funniest days of your life. Did you he sort all the boys out? Or would he always be organising the nights out? Oh, maybe he'd probably, if he went to London, he was more organised. Did you all go to London with him a couple of times? No, some of the boys would. I was I'd never one of them. I would never go down to that gang because if you went with that gang, you wouldn't see me for about three or four yeah, days. Some of the boys could recover quicker than me. I, was, I wasn't a good recoverer for any drink or anything like that. So, Mac would want to take them down there. And some of the boys loved that. But he was he was phenomenal. And sometimes he'd miss, as you know, the Monday. Mm-hmm. And Big Billy would say, kid, I want to the boys, you get a fine. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so he'd come two weeks rages and all that, but fight them nothing. <laughs> you know? But listen, it's like any other thing. If you get top quality players like that, sometimes you've got to give a little one. We, we had no problem with that whatsoever because we knew he'd produce. Brilliant. Uh, aside from the anniversary significant, how big an achievement was it beating that expensive Rangers team? Uh, at that particular time, it was as big as it got because Rangers were exceptional, exceptional players. They were desperate, obviously, to win it because it was our centenary year. Um, and it was special memories, you know what I mean? Real special memories. To so, say, they were an outstanding team, different from us, 
I felt they were physical. They, they had a mixture of everything. Mm. But we are more of a football team, a more exciting team to watch. That doesn't always win you trophies, but it did that particular time for us. And deservedly so. And the way we won it, you know, I was unfortunate. I missed through Machiavelli, actually. We had a midweek game against St Mirren. And they put it on because Maka would have had a chance in missing, I think, the semi-final if I'm right. And they put it on, it was a game with the catch-up and we played St Mirren midweek and I broke my foot. And I missed the final. Um, I was devastated because uh, it was in three weeks' time. And to be fair to Big Billy, they gave me right up to the Friday night. They put a game on in the Tuesday and I've just come out to Stookie in the Monday. Really? <laughs> they put a game in the Tuesday and I was still hobbling about and they gave me the Friday, but I obviously knew I wasn't going to be fit. And I was devastated. I was devastated. I wasn't going to be able to play in the games, you know. And I missed the, the run in three or four games and I played in every other game up to then. Yeah, so it was devastating for me that way, but there was nobody happy. I remember Paul McStay carrying us around the pitch after the game and it's some of the, the memory I'll always remember coming back. And we played Dundee at Celtic Park the day the, the league was clinched, really. Because um, I'd scored against Hibs, against Andy Gorham, away at Easter Road. And they were saying that was probably the league done and dusted. But then when we came back the following week, we played Dundee and this was going to be confirmed because I think we drew one game or something. We could have won it, but ended up going back to Celtic Park, if I'm right. We got back to Celtic Park in Dundee's here. And if you remember the old Celtic Park, the pylons were full of people. The ash was full of people. The stadium was full. But I think there was still only 20,000 there because <laughs> they used to say, today's crowd will be. Never would just start <laughs> laughing. So there must have been 80,000 wow. for this game against Dundee and beat Dundee 3-0, I think, that particular day. And it was phenomenal. It was just an unbelievable feeling and something I'll stay with forevermore. Was that the best football you played that year, your career? No. Probably under Tommy. Right. Um, with the players we had, everybody thought, hey, hey I played, I'd done really well, but I'd still say the team, when we went with Tommy, we lost one game. When we lost the league, couldn't win the league. We'll come to that in a bit. We'll come to that in a and bit. I think that was the best team. Yeah. What about, uh, how much did you relish the battle with Sunnis? Well, I knew, I was experienced enough then, I knew Graham could look after himself, you know, and if you were going in, you had to make sure you were covering yourself, you know, mm -hmm. so, but I think he gave his utmost respect, because uh, he knew I would give my all for Celtic, he knew I would be tackling, he knew he would be tackling me, and I think, if he didn't like you, he'd been over the ball, he was one of the ones, but, you know, if he trusted you and you knew that you would kick him and he would kick you and there'd be no oh, moaning about it, he'd be fair, and that's the way he was with me, 100%. I always remember one time, the two were running for a ball at the old jungle, and it must have been some race actually, me and Graham running after each other. And he's went like that, as if he's going to elbow me. And he's looked round, as if, and he, I thought, oh, he's going to smack me right in the chin here. He went, you're lucky it's you, Peter. And just kept running. <laughs> but I think that was the respect that he knew that I would never come from behind and try and do him to please the fans yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. like that. But face on, we'd be into each other. Uh, he says you won the league, you had the league wrapped up. Uh, would it know as meant as much if you never won the cup? Was that, as soon as the league was won, was it a discussion we need to win the cup now? Oh, oh absolutely, 100%, because we wanted to win the treble, special year, with didn't happen, but we wanted to win the cup, because that's why I think the cup final should always be the last game of the season, after the league, the league, it should always be that, because it was always a special day, not just for the players, but for the supporters as well, you know, and you can enjoy it. You'd worked hard all season, you'd hopefully won the league, but then the cup was icing in the cake. Mm. It was always special to win the cup, when you're a young player, you always wanted, I always dreamt, of playing in the Scottish Cup final against Rangers at Hamden. That's what I always dreamt of, because you were up the back doing that yourself, you know. Cup final, you'd be doing commentary yourself, you know, yeah. against the players you were playing against and who the Celtic Rangers and that were playing at that particular time. So that was my dream, you know, was to play in that. To actually play in them, you know, was magnificent. And to beat Rangers and obviously 
the cup final in 89, you know, was the dream that I always had. But the double winning year beating down United obviously meant a hell of a lot to us, but I missed it because of the, the broken foot. So, but for the players, but because we were such a tight-knit group, I remember Tommy and that shouting to us to come in the team 40 because like Billy and that, when they, they wouldn't take the 40 and that before it was been in. So, they, they memories will live me forever, ever more. They'll go to the grave with me, mm-hmm. you know. See, um, when you were watching the game, did you ever think, we're not going to do it? No, I knew we'd win. You knew you did? Oh, I, I knew we'd win in the game. I just knew the way the season was for us. Because you, you, you have these things, as I said to you, we'd scored late against Morton, you know, Stranmar, the, the opportunity the guy missed, you know, and you're thinking, this is us. And even though we're one down and whatever, I knew the group of players that was on the pitch just did something special. There was still something to come. And the, the biggest thing was the opposition knew that as well. That was the biggest thing we had. The opposition were frightened. Yeah. They knew if it was nil-nil late, they would go further and further and further back because they still know we'd get another chance. But we also had that belief. We'd still score. So I, I just thought, sitting there, it's worth watching, don't get me wrong, but I knew there was something coming. I thought maybe it'd go into extra time. Right. I thought we'd score, but it'd maybe go extra time to get the two goals. And, and Mad Frank scores a double. Well, it couldn't have happened to a, a mere special guy because the way he played for us, as I said to you at that particular time, he was an unbelievable player. And I think, and the pleasing thing for me is it shows you when he went to England and all the things, when he went to West Ham and scored all the goals and still maybe never ever get the credit. You know, I'm Tony Coy, West Ham finished third. Yeah. You know, what an incredible achievement that was, but what an incredible player he was, you know? And I, that's why I say, he, I thought he'd a mixture of him. So for him to get the goals, I was as happy as Larry because I think that's what he deserved on that particular day. The good thing about Frank is he's humble, he never mentions it. <laughs> uh, so, you, did, did you run straight on the pitch? Oh, I couldn't run on. So that's what I'm saying. So Big the Billy's got it, Big Billy's got us, and Tommy Craig, the two of them have got us, and they're huddling and whatever, you know. And obviously, I was emotional. You know, we Andy Walker was there because we Andy get hit with the ball at Aberdeen, I think. Andy went for a header and had done something to his cataract or something to his eyes, so he had to wear sunglasses. And people all think Andy was being a smoothie wearing the sunglasses, but Andy couldn't have <laughs> been the light. Andy Walker's never been a smoothie. That's what I'm saying, yeah. he, couldn't, he couldn't have been the light, so he had to wear sunglasses, you know, on the particular day, so he missed the game. Um, so for us, we were such a tight group, as I say, everybody was just elated, you know. I think the modern day, some guys would get away and want to get into their car and no celebrate because we were in the party. We were the complete opposite. We just wanted to be there. And how did you celebrate after it? Where did you go? Can't remember actually. Um, we'd probably go to somebody's house because we're more like that. We were never a gang. We'd probably go back to Celtic Park for an hour or something. But we always went to maybe Tommy's or whatever, and go over in there and we'd have a few drinks and everybody would go back there and then they'd be sing song, the usual sing song thing. Because you didn't want to go because you didn't want to get into anybody any trouble. You know, and you know there's always a possibility yeah. of that because people are a bit emotional about the game or whatever. You know, everybody's got a few drinks and you wanted to enjoy and let your hair down and we felt that within our own confines that was the best thing to do so we always went to somebody's house Would Billy McNeil come back? Oh, Billy, no, that would be party 100% and he'd bring your friend. That, yeah. But it was brilliant that was where we were Yeah. You know, if we went out we went together we'd get a private room so we wouldn't be annoying anybody or whatever and we'd ask could we get a certain hotel you knew somebody at the hotel could we get a room and make a wee bar up yeah. there or whatever so that was the sort of things we'd done as I say because we were a very uh, tight knit group and as I say the people, the older senior players had built that and we tried to maintain that when we came in with our groups. Yeah. We tried to maintain pass that. It on. Pass it on. So that became the thing. You know, it was like Absolutely. Did uh, big, big Billy McNeil say anything after the final? Was there a speech or was it just... He never, he just was, he'd be just elated. Yeah. You know, he was just celebrating like everybody else because you've got to remember all the trophies he won as uh, a player. I think as a manager it's something special because he's built the group. You know, mm-hmm. so you're doing that off your own back because it's on your head 
whether they win, lose or draw, is when you're a manager, you soon realise that, you know, so you're winning it for everybody. Mm. Whereas when you're a player yourself, you should doing it for yourself. Right, last question on that. How many buds did Frank take to Tommy Burns' assist? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I think he got bloody half the wife's in back as well. <laughs> he was that smooth, you know, so uh, you know what he was like, but he's a top guy. Uh, after the centenary year, did you see success coming or was there warning signs? You always seen success with Celtic. You just couldn't see it going the way it did. You know, I think... What was the first warning sign then that you thought this isn't right? The first warning sign was probably the cup final. Uh, we beat Rangers in the cup final. We'd signed Mo, if you remember. Mm-hmm. And it didn't get through. I was go- going with Scotland. And I went down with Scotland after the cup final. And Mo would say to his... So Mark Mo travelled in the bus with us to the game. So I'm sitting with him in the bus. We're talking about it. So everything's done. He said, I've just not signed the paperwork. So didn't think anything else of that, you know, he'd been out with his pictures done, as you know. So he'd come down as a Celtic player, really, to the cup final. And then we went away, after the cup final, I was in the Scotland squad for the Rouse Cup against England in Chile, I think it was. And we were, I think it was Turnberry we were at, and we came out and I seen Big Billy down. He's sort of storming away, sort of thing, you know. He was down to see Mo. So then we're going to train. So Coy's staying more on the bus, and Coy's said, I haven't been to be man's going to terrorise you next year, granny, you know. I laughed and I said, I know where Coy's staying a bit. No, Granny, I'm going to sign the Rangers. <laughs> no, I'm. And I went, well, you go. And I still don't believe him, you know. So, trained and whatever, done their stuff. And then the next thing, he's announced he was going to be a Rangers player. And that should never have been allowed to happen. That was, for me, what cost the next nine years a torture for Celtic, that moment. Yeah. 100%. Mo Johnson. Should never have been let go to Rangers. Anybody else can happen, not your Rangers. Why not, Mo? Because he was so good. It should just never have happened. Mm. Celtic player who's a Celtic player should never have went to Rangers. He should never have been allowed to go to Rangers. Celtic should have gave everything to go no matter what he wanted. You're staying here. And for me, that's what cost all the next nine years. Did you speak to Mo after he signed for Rangers? Yeah, on the pitch, barely kicked him a few times. Mm-hmm. And then he probably meet him fully face to face when we went to Canada and I'm out with him for. A day, full day, went out with him in Canada and sat and blurred about it and sort of understood certain parts of it. And then the two of us got full. We can't even remember the rest of it. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, but that, that for me was a catalyst for the next torturous years for Celtic. Yeah. And Big Billy leaves in 1991. Was his hands tied to the job? Absolutely. You know, he, like the manager I played under, fortunate enough, they were all wanting to push on and we never had the finance. So I understand that. I understand that side of it. Rangers were getting stronger. Rangers had phenomenal money at that particular time, so we're led to believe. And they bought some world-class players at that particular time. They were world-class players, you know, coming from England and Goffey and that coming, Terry Butchers and all these coming, you know. It was phenomenal signings. Would you speak about it in the dressing room with the manager, like, where's the money, what's happening? No, when you, when you Celtic, the way Celtic were run compared to the way Rangers were getting run, yeah. we knew the money they had to, we, we didn't have... They were 10 years ahead as with their stadium. You think about it, 10 years ago they'd built Ibrox to the, way, the first original part, the way it was done. We were still talking about doing this and that, and Celtic Park was still the old Celtic Park, which obviously special memories for me, I loved it. Um, but for by all that, I don't care if they should have big borrowed and steal that Mo Johnson signed with Celtic. He should not, if he lost it with Manchester United or somebody like that, fine. We cannot lose it with Rangers. Mm. And that was a catalyst for the torturous years, I believe, to this day. There's no way Rangers would have won nine in a row if Mo Johnson was the same with us. That's really? as, I'd go as far as that. Wow. Big shout out. 100%. I'd right. be 100% sure of that. That Mo Johnson would have scored goals in games we'd have won 
Hundred percent. You would have won a league. Absolutely. Yeah. How frustrating was that? The, the, the days you when Rangers kept money. It was frustrating for us because we were Celtic supporters. Uh, that's what I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, you were only good enough. You know, Rangers wasn't a problem. Could you voice your concerns to anyone? Thought was it? You didn't need it. Everybody could see it. You yeah. know, but we knew we could match them on the football pitch for ninety minutes. But Rangers with phenomenal players, you know, and we could match them for ninety minutes. And I can't well get beat five one with Rangers one of the times. They had outstanding players in that particular game, but we won the next game. I think it was three nothing or something, and that was the way it was sort of thing. It didn't matter who their players were, but then we started to dwindle. The quality that was coming into us wasn't good enough. I genuinely thought I wasn't good enough to be there, but I was one of the better ones. Mm. I genuinely thought if Celtic are going to push on, you need to start replacing all of us. That was the way I felt at that particular time. Paul was there, iconic. Top, top player, as we spoke about earlier on. And I felt for him as well. And for us, it was hard. I mean, I'd be going home and sitting to four and five in the morning with my Celtic suit on. And tears in the room. Demoralised because of what was happening. My performances or the results we had. Even when I played well, I didn't enjoy it. If we won, I wasn't enjoying it because I knew we weren't going to win. We'd been with a fight winning trophies, but we weren't going to be able to sustain it constantly. I mean, never had the quality that could sustain it against Rangers consistently. Mm-hmm. We could play against them and play them off the pitch and whatever, but we'd never had the quality to sustain it. We'd lose poor games. Are you surprised Paul never left Celtic? No. No, I was not because... Did you ever speak about it? Yeah, yeah, but listen, you've got to remember who we were talking about, the teams that were talking about that particular time. I mean, when I was... When the, 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 we won the double you spoke about. I got an opportunity to go to Arsenal. I, I was just going to say, did you ever have a chance to I, I, could have, I could have went to Arsenal at that particular time, but for what? Arsenal had 30,000 supporters at that particular time. I was probably getting £500 or £1,000 more than I was on at Celtic, which was phenomenal um, money in my eyes, but it had cost me to live there, mm. that, you know? So, me going to Arsenal, that wasn't my dream team. My dream team was Celtic, you know? I just wanted to play with them. I just wanted to stay there as long as I could. And Paul was very similar, you know? But he had to do a bit of bartering, you know? He was a top international player, playing with world-class players in Kenny Douglas when he was playing with Scotland and Sunnis and all them. So Paul was playing with them when he was at international level, but then coming to us, mm. you know? That's what I felt for him a little bit more, you know? Because we, we'd tar- carry the weight, because we've, remember, we, we were Celtic players, but more importantly, we were Celtic supporters. So it was hurting us terribly, and it, things had changed. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
players had changed, the types of players were changed, you know. And it was a real, real tough time, but I, I genuinely say that, as I said earlier on, the Mo Johnson thing with a massive, massive part of it. See, with the frustration, see, after games like you've been getting beat for Rangers and stuff like that are, are, are teams that you should be beating, would you and Paul be the one that would you lose your head in the dressing room? Maybe they know the players' fault because they weren't good enough to beat Celtic, like, but they were there, but, but could I, you just find it hard? But listen, I was one of the type of characters anyway, if, even if we played well. I remember we played our broth away in the cup, and we were 9 nothing up in the 94th minute. And one of the players tried to step over and I wanted to kill him in the dressing room after it because he's done a step over and lost the ball and we conceded in the 94th minute. So, it sometimes meant too much to me. Mm. So players will tell you that's a bloody nightmare to play with because I was a moaning face get. You know, I'd be screaming and shouting at them because I just felt for 95 minutes I was a Tasmanian devil, mm. you know. And I, if anybody that had tried to disrespect my opponent, you know, or disrespect the club, you know, we're doing something silly to take the world out of them. I'd have been right on their case. I never. We just go on there, we winning, we get off. Mm. You know, that's what that's what we do. That's what you've got to do, and you show that respect, and you never let that club down. And that's that's the way we were brought up. But in the hard times, it was really, really tough. And as I say, we probably turn it tougher. And I know the boys didn't enjoy it. Any of the boys that came through it didn't enjoy it. But for us, it was a be all and end all. Yeah. You know, for them, it was their job. Uh, on a Fergus McCann, when he was being uh, rumored to take over. Were you keeping an eye on things? Like, did, did you look into him, or did you? Know oh yeah, I, I was, like everything else. We, as you know, he was a very quiet man, and he's only kept liked his own company. Yeah. You know, um, obviously when it happened, you'd like see them celebrating at the steps and all that was phenomenal for us. But we didn't know what was going to happen. But Fergus true his word. They said five years will have this, and five years will have this, and five years will that, and everyone them came through. You know, mm -hmm. every single one. See, before you know? he came, were you worried that there wasn't going to be a set like at any point? No. I'll tell you the reason for the differences that we sell to us. The supporters would never have let that club die. Never in a million years. And I, I go back to this thing about Mo Johnson. When the board allowed Mo to go there, that would never have happened if that was the supporters that was doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because that is their life. That's what they give up for. That's why the son and the father go their holidays together to watch the team in pre-season and the mother and the daughter go to Spain if they're lucky enough. You know, because that is their life. And Celtic would have never died and been into the situation that um, other clubs have been in, that Celtic, the supporters, would just not allowed that to happen. That never happened. And I'm just delighted that Fergus came in, he had a vision, and his vision was fantastic, and he stood by it. And everything, within that five years, everything he said came to fruition. And there was nobody happy. I'd left Celtic at that particular time, and they won. The year after I left, they won the league again. And I was sitting in the director's box that day, and I felt as if I was on the park playing because I was so happy. Mm -hmm. I know it was a phenomenal feeling, and it was a special feeling, you know. And it was a time that that's us back. That's us back. Did the whole place get a lift straight away when the Fergus deal was signed? Oh, absolutely, because you're, you're you're thinking to yourself, well, hopefully that's the end. Of it. But we know it's not just money coming in. It's who's who you bringing in, who's the quality that's coming in, mm -hmm. how you going to adjust it, because that takes time, you know. But there was a completely different feeling, yeah, obviously, because cool. remember when we were scoring goals, it was sack the board. That's the chant was, you know, so it was difficult for them. And listen, these guys had done a phenomenal job when the, the years got through, but unfortunately business had moved on and everything else had moved on, you know, and they needed some money guru to come in to help. Because I've been down, in, as I say, 23 years down there now. Celtic and Rangers, apart, Manchester United's the only club that play with the pressure. I say I can Rangers. 100%. Don't tell me about Chelsea, Tottenham or anything like that. Yeah. Celtic and Rangers can put in Manchester United. Maybe Liverpool. Maybe Liverpool now. But that's the only clubs that can near it. For the anywhere near it for the pressure. Right. Uh, not long after that, your old mate Tommy 
Did you know, did anyone ever come to you and say, what do you think about Tommy for the job? Or how, when did you first know that he was even being considered? Well, if you remember, Tommy and myself were friends. Yeah. You know, we were teammates and friends and all that. So obviously they asked me to go to Kilmarnock as well to play when him and Starkey went in the, when he came up the levels and he came into the Premier League and whatever. he done a phenomenal job at Kilmarnock. And I think that's said enough. Tommy went there with Starkey, turned him through the divisions, got him into the Premier League and I think they finished fourth or fifth mm. in the first season. So he'd done all his work. And as I said, you know yourself, you worked with him. He had a phenomenal work ethic to improve, you know, going and visiting everywhere. So I'd, I'd, I'd inclined he was coming back, obviously. And um, that made me prouder, you know, to see him coming in. And all of a sudden, the only difficulty I had, I probably had a stranger period in my life with him during that period was because he was my gaffer now. So I was with him, talking to him constantly, we'd be on the phone and whatever. All of a sudden, he's my gaffer. We'd go and hold it together. And did that have to stop? We went a couple of times, but I felt uncomfortable. You know, I felt uncomfortable because we'd be dropping back into Glasgow and I'm working after playing with the gaffer, mm. you know? And okay, I was a senior player and whatever, and everybody knew we were friends and what, but it felt completely different to me. So I was probably quieter towards him and probably didn't contact him as much, but it'd be every second day or whatever, you know? Um, or, because you'd be away at a different club. But then all of a sudden he was in the door, I probably spoke to him less in that period of time because I wanted to be picked on Merit. me, mm. you know? And I knew it would be, I knew yeah. it would be. Um, and as I say, he was just a phenomenal man and, and a just great coach. Oh, great, tremendous Great coach, coach you know. Uh, yet again, probably he'll say to you, it was all consuming for him because it was one of the jobs that he wanted everything to be perfect. I mean everything. You know, he wanted to run everything right. So he was fighting every corner. So it was 24-7 for Tommy, you know, and I mean 24-7. I don't mean I would sleep for seven. <laughs> it wouldn't be 24-7, you know, for him. And Rosemary was such a special woman that, you know, that she allowed that to be. You know, she allowed that to be because she, uh -huh. she knew that was what he wanted to do and she knew where he was and that was her as happy as Larry. And that's what he wanted to do and it was all consuming for him. And obviously be Starkey alongside him who was just buffering them all the time. They were, they were fantastic. Did they the change the environment straight away? Absolutely. Well, was it just a happy place to go to training? Yeah, they get rid How of it. How does he do that, just his personality? Yeah, just went in and told the people that they didn't want to be there, didn't want to be there anymore, whether it was coaching staff, whatever. So they just got to change it, wipe it out. This is what I want it to be like. This is, this is Celtic Football Club, as you, he always calls it that. <laughs> and um, that was him. You know, he just wanted to be the Tommy Burns way. He knew that the special guys that had been before him, going for Jockstein and the guys prior to Jock, to the guys now for Big Billy, Davy, and he wanted to make sure it was going back to that feeling that when people come to Celtic Football Club, this is the best days of their life, this is the enjoyment, but when they come here, they're here to work, you know, they're here to do their job and do their job well. I know you said because he was your pal, but did did other players as well love love his, his management and coaching? Yeah, well, he was that type of character. I think he'd batter you, you know that yourself. Mm -hmm. Two seconds later, you'd be your best pal. Mm -hmm. That was it's the best a, thing It's, you it's, had, a, it's it? a great trait, you know, it's a fantastic trait, and it's something that I've tried to take with me because you've got to be hard, you've got to be firm, you've got to be dogged at times, you've got to say things, it's no nice. And he was good at all that. Um, he made me captain. When Paul was injured, he made me captain and turned it off me and said it was the worst thing he ever done, just taking it back off me. But he was ruthless. How was that know? conversation when he done it? Well, how do you think I was? I said, it's the biggest mistake in your life. And um, he said, because I don't want it to consume, all, all consuming for you. He said, because you're that anyway. He said, I don't need that for you. 
said, man, don't want you to think there's another weight on your shoulders. You know, I went, Tommy, I've got a piano on my shoulders every day. You know, that's the way I am. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to change that. He said, but I just thought, I've thought about it. I just don't want that to be a bigger burden. And I went, oh, okay, no problem. You're the boss, walked out. And within a couple of weeks, he said it was the biggest mistake he'd ever made. And I told him that at the time, mm-hmm. you know. But as I say, we had that sort of relationship. Um, hard, fair, but a wonderful, wonderful supporter of me, you know, when people would give you stick. And I knew I was playing well, but people would just get in the habit of giving you stick or whatever. And um, he was a great backer of me, and that's something I'll never forgive. First opportunity for, for a trophy for Tommy was obviously Race Rovers. You couldn't have played in the game. How gutted were you missing it again? Another final. <sighs> well, it just seemed to be my period at that time. I missed through suspension or injury um, the big games and it was unbelievable to miss the game and people say to me that oh, it must have been the best day of life missing that one definitely not because what happened but it was Paul of all people mm. you know if there's one guy in this earth didn't deserve it was him mm. my heart sank and was broken for him in pieces because I knew how much the club meant to him and how much it meant to him at that particular time um, so that was a big disappointment obviously um, put us under a lot of pressure then you know it was a phenomenal pressure we were under then because uh, it was a big, big opportunity and it didn't happen. So I felt for, as you know, you have Tommy and all that there and we know how much it means to him. It's not a, a manager you've got that doesn't and bread and Celtic and means Celtic everything, means everything to them and it was for him. Mm. And for us to lose uh, was a massive, massive blow. What's he like in a dressing room after a, a defeat like that? To be fair, uh, if I can remember him, he was very, very calm. Uh, after that one because I think he knew how much everybody was hurting and obviously Paul as well being one of his own um, I just think he took stock and wanted to take time and because you know he can make his in and he'll and I just I knew that's when he'd probably grew Tommy as well they knew that moment wasn't the right time to rather than rave, yeah, it, wasn't, it wasn't going to make any difference it wasn't going to change the result it wasn't going to be whatever but I just showed you the intense pressure we were under constantly because things hadn't went well for a few years. Yeah, and then the result, 95. Was that spoken about before the game, the, the final years lost before it? Or no, it never, never mentioned Simon once, you know. The biggest problem we were always going to get into the game, because people are talking about Airdrie, you know. But Airdrie had a fantastic side for every side at that particular yeah. time. And a team full of men, you know, who worked really, really hard and a real dogged side, a really tough side, and we knew it would be a hard game. I mean, we knew it would be a hard game. But, as you say, we score early. Uh, big Pierre with the head of a Tosh's cross. And, but the game seemed as if it lasted for about five days because mm. it was a poor game, a poor, poor game. Um, it was that poor I get mine in the match. That, that says <laughs> enough. Um, but it was a poor, poor game. And the elation when the final whistle went. And people see me in tears at the end of the game and think, Tears of joy, it was just relief. Mm-hmm. That was all it was. I was just camped up for all the years and we were just, for myself and Paul, because we'd been through it all. Some of the boys had just been there for two, a year. Some of the first season, mm-hmm. you know, we'd been through it all, you know. And just the two of us in the dressing room, just bloody hell, it was like two long lost brothers, you know, just. But we, I never even taken a bottle of beer after the game. I never even taken a bottle of beer, went back to Tommy's and that, made a laugh and whatever. And I, then I think I had one bottle of beer in the house, but I couldn't even have a drink because I said to myself, I'm never missing this opportunity again because it maybe never happened again for me, yeah. you know, because I know what I'd been through, you know. So um, I enjoyed that night. Don't get me wrong, I had my big friend Raymond Sparks on the Sunday with my friends. On the Sunday night, I made up for it, but the Saturday night, I never seen it on because 
I'd learnt because in 86 when we won the league the first time, I think that would be every year or every second yeah. year. But every year we'd win something. You know, we'd definitely win something every year. Mm. And it didn't turn out to be that way. So I made sure I was enjoying that moment more than any time that I've ever enjoyed in my life. And yeah. I was fortunate enough to be with a group of guys and more so because Tommy Burns and Billy Stark were leading us. Could Tommy give a great uh, team talk? Well, you know what he's like. He's emotional. Gets all tears yeah, in there. <laughs> he's emotional. You know what you're representing. You know, all the things that we use to our advantage at times. And I, But for him and ourselves, it was truth and it was for the bottom of his heart. You know, it was one of the ones, you know, this is everything. These people come to watch you consistently. Man, woman, whatever you name it, child, every game, they follow you. They follow you representing them. Every time you're out in the street, you're representing Celtic Football Club. It's not just in here because everybody talks, talks to you. And he's right because people still talk to me as Peter Grant Celtic. Mm. I've been away for but years hundreds, now. hundreds of years. You know, so you look back with pride with that, you know, and I'm very, very fortunate with that. And I understand what Tommy meant, but I was fortunate enough I was brought up as well, so I understood what he meant. I knew it wasn't a lie, I knew it wasn't a cheating. I could see boys looking as if they say, what is he meaning, you know? Mm-hmm. But, but he spoke with that passion, that drive and that determination to succeed. And that was inbredness, you know, let's go and do it. This is the chance. Yeah. And that's why I was so elated at the end for him and Starkey, obviously myself and Paul and all the players, but I think because we'd all been through it, mm-hmm. you know, we'd been through it. Uh, Van Hoydonk, what kind of guy was he? Terrific guy. Terrific, terrific player as well. Probably a much better player than people gave him credit for because he came as that big lanky player and whenever he came, he had an unbelievable confidence as all the Dutch people do have, you know. They invented football in everybody's <laughs> eyes and Pierre was the best player in the world in yeah. everybody's eyes. We were all rubbish, you know, sort of thing. But um, a phenomenal player. Phenomenal, yeah, yeah. He's the best striker of the ball I've ever seen. With smashing power, it. Yeah. With power, with direction. But not just a kick through, you know, but he was a terrific striker, really, really top, top striker, you know, um, and a very, very good guy, you know, a very good guy. He was, as I say, in that group, <laughs> with De Canio, with Andy Tom, with George well, Cadetti, well, uh, you know, with all these guys. See that confidence you're talking about? Do all the top players have that thought? Your De Canio's not that oh. confidence that Van Hooydonk had? Well, Paolo, I, I always laugh because we were roommates, and the best laugh I had with him when we played the um, Aberdeen away, and he's got the gold boots on. I'm thinking, I'm wearing black boots. I'm like Billy's boots on, you know. He's got <laughs> the, the gold boots. Uh, he's got the gold. I, I wouldn't even want a white stripe on me. He's somebody was wearing. Because if I seen somebody with gold boots on, you know what I'm getting. You're getting I was going chasing. Head. I was going chasing him, you know. And he's got the boots on, and we go one man down. We were playing exceptionally well, but then he scores two fantastic goals, and the boots sell for something like six to eight thousand pounds for uh, cash for kids. I think. Oh, hockey, yeah, yeah. Uh, two, two, I think two boys. The two boys bought them, so they split, split a boot each, whatever it was, about six to eight grand. But his performance, was, I think it was snowing or raining, and he's playing with gold boots on, but he's pulled one down and ruined the keeper, he went the winner, and we won 2-1. But that was him. They talk about Canton at Manchester United. Paolo was ours. Mm-hmm. Just, this is me. This is my arena, you know. And it was great to go out and play with him, and it was special. I mean, we were outstanding that season. We... And it's a shame that Tommy never won the league that year. I remember after the, the final game of the season, we were going to sell it part and the supporters were clapping us because we'd lost one game. And I remember saying to them, listen, guys, this will be the last time this ever happens. This will never, ever happen again. You get clapped and you've no one the league. No, no one the league. Forget it. I said, we shouldn't even be getting this in because we've won nothing. Nothing, you know. And um, as I said, but that was the type of players we had. People, I think even supporters for other teams were coming to watch us. 
because we were that good to watch. That good oh, they're, they're unbelievable. And that's great credit to Tommy and the players that had come in the door. I mean, you think about it, it was myself and Paul predominantly in the middle of the pitch, but then you had a front line of Decano, Tom, Cadetti, and Van Hoydon. See, if you weren't giving him the ball, would he, like, would he go mad at you? Well, that, that, but they'd ask me to go out on the Saturday night after the game. I was like, I'm getting him for a rest. Because they were brilliant going that way. <laughs> you know, I was emotional. <laughs> I'm going to get that one back. And then Paul would go and join them. And I'd be left in the middle of the pitch myself. <laughs> like, he's a ball. I can't he breathe. <laughs> what did you say to Cano when he came in, when he first put the gold boots on? Oh, the usual. You've effing better play well than eight boy. Did you, you always give each other a bit? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he was my manager at Swindon. He said, oh. Peter Grant, the plumber. That's what he oh, said. <laughs> my roommate, sorry, that last we had the first time. So I went to um, Tommy's manager. Where, Sweden or Switzerland. So, training kits so can hardly speak a word of English. So, I said, listen, you go up to the room, or room seven, say whatever. You go up to the room, I'll get the training kit. So, I'm taking the training kit, I'll open the door. And you know when you get into a hotel, predominantly the toilets are the first thing on the right or the first thing on the left. Yeah. So, I've opened the door, the toilet's open. He's got his leg on the sink, shaving. <laughs> shaving himself. So, I've sort of taken off a half look and seen things. So I've walked right into the bedroom, put the gear down, walked straight back out the door, went down the stairs and told me, I ain't getting in there. <laughs> He's like, what? I said, I ain't going up there with him. Ah, you're gone because you've got to tell him all about Celtic. I said, I don't care. He's up there shaving his ass. You know? <laughs> he done it you know? with you, not he? I was like, I ain't going in with him. You know? So he's like, no, you're going in with him. You're going in with him. So I'm back up the stairs. So I'm like, you? Why? He went, oh, no, 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 Peter. I was like, why are you shaving? He was like, aerodynamic. <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, I was, I was wanting to kill him. Okay. I was like, I'm here full of hair. No, I'm like a wee monkey walking, like, you know. He's like shaving himself, you know. But, um, Did you do you with a fish or oh, Same trip. We went to a barbecue after the last game. But you have one of these big, long tables. And it was either Sweden or something. So it was a place where we were staying. It was like a fish place, you know. So they put a beautiful spread on for us. So, but the fish was about 30 feet long. <laughs> That's what it looked like. So I'm thinking, it's looked like a shark, you know, it's a big head on the end there, it was like a shark's head. So all the prawns are in it and all this, and the fruits are all set up so the fish is home. So I'm like, fine, don't you think any else here? So we go back. And I went like, he said, hey, Peter, I take the bag up. He said, you get two cappuccinos. I said, cappuccino? <laughs> Couldn't you say it? You know? I was like, a cappuccino and a tea, please. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he goes, we're upstairs. We never think anything else here. So I got, got up to the room. We're in bed. And, you know, it's just no, there's something. You know, looking at me and laughing. I was good today. And whatever, you know, and just, we're talking about the music because I'll come to that later on. Um, next thing was... Right, see in the morning. It's like uh, the, the Walton's. Good night, John Boy, and all this. <laughs> so I'm putting the light, the light. I say, all right, is that you done everything? Aye, aye. So I'll put the light. See in the morning. Remember, we're up seven because we've got training. Aye, okay. So again, I've been like that. I put my foot down. So I put my foot on the bed. It's a single bed. We're in, I think, two single beds. And I put my foot down. But I put my foot in something like, I thought it was a plastic bag mm-hmm. or a bucket full of jelly. And I put my foot in. I pulled the sheet back to the light one. And it was the head, the shark's head he put in my bed. You know, well, I've jumped up screaming. He's out of bed. He knows. He's already out the door already. I'm chasing him. It happened with a fire extinguisher. Everybody's coming out the room. You know, we're like, what's going on? I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. You know, he put the shark's head in my bloody bed. Wow. But the funny thing for that story went was, I came to that manager in Norwich. 
So he's wrote about it in his book, My Best Friend at Celtic, Peter Grant. Uh, I did the story. He said I didn't know he had a phobia about fish. I love fish. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't tell me what the shark said. <laughs> so we're playing, Nor uh, I'm playing for Norwich, um, Norwich manager at the time. Going to play Ipswich. Ipswich sell out of fish. And they've all got fish heads on. When we go to the game. All the supporters. Uh, they've done it because they can't eat it. Because they think I'm allergic to fish. So they're all starting with these fish heads on it. That was like fellow. I said, I love fish, you know. So, but that shows you just what people say. But he wrote that in his book and everybody was killing themselves laughing. But he was. How did Tommy do, handle him? He was easy to handle. He was a moaner because his standards were there. Yeah. Right up the top. I remember his first day at training. You know the way you do eight V8s to finish and whatever. Mm-hmm. But they're full on, aren't they? People tackling, blah, blah, blah. So that was that was always intense to do our training. It was full on, it was a proper match. You'd be tackling full on. And I remember, I think the game ended 3-2 in an 8v8. He pulls me, he says, Peter, every day? And I thought he meant 8v8. Yeah. And he went, I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every day probably finishes with that after all the technical and tactical stuff. Probably finishes with 8v8. He said, no, no, no. I mean, 3-2? I went, Sometimes, you know, he went. <laughs> in Italy, I would still be running if we lose three goals in training. All right, with that, you know, uh... we'd still be running. He said, and the other team for losing too. He said, nil nil or one nil, we had to work hard. Yeah. And that sent me the standard that hey, we've got a proper one here. You know, yeah. he moaned about everything. You know, it was hard to live with at times. Me and Simon Donnelly went to his house one day, so we went for a couple of drinks in the Chinese. And then went to his house. He says he's going to wake Elizabeth up. I think he was renting Davy's old house. And um, the next thing was, he's going to get, I said, you waking her up, I'll kill you. You just go straight in there and we'll get a cup of tea. So we went back with a couple of cans of beer. Whatever. So we're sitting, he puts the music on. But it's one of these ones that come up with all the songs at the bottom, you know, the karaoke thing. Uh-huh. So I'm like, and Westlife or whatever the hell's on. So he's singing it and Simon and that's singing and the two is. Next thing he's got his top off because he's. Ripped, Ripped uh-huh. you know. He loved himself, you know. And I'm sitting there, like, I'll kill myself laughing, so I'm having a couple of cans worth laughing. The three of us are sitting singing. And I've turned my head like that, just just to look over my shoulder at something. I can see a red light and a plant. <laughs> and I thought it was my eyes at first, too much to uh-huh. think or something. I've walked out. He's actually videoing us. <laughs> no chance. So I'm going berserk. What the f are you doing? Oh, Peter, I sent it back to my friends in Italy. You know, I was like, send it back to your friends, I'll kill you. Stay you know, man, isn't it? I'll kill you. you know. The next time, he's like, because we're going to play in Europe. And he's like, I put it on the team bus for me coming back with the manager. I was like, no, you will not. <laughs> you know, I was going to kill him, you know, I swear to God. But that was the sort of character. But I, I loved him to bits. Emotional, emotional man. Do you know walk off to him a few times? Did oh, you start yeah, to yeah. walk to Celtic Park for Barrafield? Aye, we got to kill ourselves that day. We picked the wrong one because Big Gordon Marshall threw the ball and he gave it to our team and Paolo gave him one of the ones, the Italian flick of the hand sort of thing. You know, he's got the giving the ball away. Big Marsh came for him. <laughs> Try to hold Big Marsh. Marsh was going to kill him. So Tommy sends him down the road. So by the time he comes in, I've got his scarf and that, you know, with the noose, the old dress room yeah. one, you know, with the noose, I go and he you know, sort of thing. And he went into Tommy and that. And, but he would do that, but he knew he'd perform. He was a performer. He was a performer. He was... A wonderful, wonderful player for Celtic, and it was a pleasure to play with him. But when he got out of his circle, he said, if something wasn't good enough, I'd say to him, hey, listen, hold on one moment. Because I thought sometimes he was a bit disrespectful. Too much, uh-huh. And I'll be like, hey, you play with the um, 
Parese, Maldini, whatever, Costa, Corta. You're not playing with them now. I said, in fact, you didn't play with them. You were a sub. And he didn't He'd like hate that. that uh-huh. He didn't like that. I said, you were a sub at Juventus. You were a sub at all the teams. That's why you've ended up here. You know? And he didn't like that. Yeah. But he respected it because he knew I was telling the truth. You know? But a wonderful, wonderful player for us. Right. But that was the only way you could shut him up. Yeah, you had to give him a bit. Oh, you had to give him a bit uh-huh. back. You know? Did that end up being a problem, him? Pierre Cadet would later cause issues for Tony. What is this? We played hamburger way. I think it was hamburger Cologne, one of the two. And um, but <laughs> I laugh about it every time. Big Yogi and Malky McKay both get set off. Two set halves are set off in the first half of the game. So that's fine. So come back in the plane. I've had an unbelievable headache and I never have any headaches. I thought, I thought I was taking a brain hemorrhage. It was that bad. So we're sitting with suits on and he's sitting next to me. And my head busting, and he said, Peter, I, I need to speak to you. And I was like, Paolo, shush. You know, that, that was probably the polite <laughs> way I said to him. So my head was busting, and I'm grabbing my head, and I said, You need to get a doctor for me, get a doctor. And so I think it's just your sinuses are blocked. So that was fine. He says, Peter, I need to speak to you. I was like, What is it? And he's like, He says, um, I need to see the manager tomorrow. We need to speak to the manager. Will you say to the manager, Can I have a meeting in the morning? I was like, I I'll speak to him and I got Right, right, right. So I need to have a meeting before training, eh? Before training. Aye, okay, right, just peace, sit down. So fine, go off. So the next morning, he said, you speak to the manager? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. So I got to Tommy, I forgot about it. I got to see Tommy. I said, listen, Mad Scout wants to have a meeting. He said, who are we use? I went, no, everybody. So the old president, uh, presidential sort of sweet member, it was on the yeah, walk uh-huh. So I walked in there, where the trophies was. Walked in there and I said, what is it? And I said, girl with him. But she's going to be the interpreter. Something oh, right, okay, because he speaks good English. Yeah. Something right. There's something bizarre going on here. So where is it? Blah blah blah. She said, no, I, I speak to her, and she she'll tell you because I maybe not get it right. Okay, fine. So after getting at the players, I said, right, gaffer, Maddie's ready, guys. We have a meet Paolo. So big Peter, like, oh, what the hell she want? You know what I mean, sort of thing. And we sit, and the girl sits up. She sits up, and the girls with him, and we're all sitting looking on. So I'm at the front, and the girl goes like to him. He says something to the girl, and the girl says, no, no, I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> so I go up, and I say, what is it? She went, I want to, she wants me to curse at these two guys here, three guys. <laughs> so I said, what he's saying is, he said, see you three. That was uh, Cadetti, Tom, and Big Pierre. Right. Doesn't pass to him anymore. <laughs> Don't let him take free kicks. But he was effing and blinding. Was he? Oh, he was going mad. They see me, they don't effing they aren't passing. He's getting the girl to say it. And the girl's like, I ain't saying that. I can't say it. And this is what it was, because he, he was like a big baby. He's up now taking his dummy tattoo. Mm. And he was just saying, they don't pass to me on the pitch. And he's still like that. <laughs> and I've never seen anything bizarre. So after about five minutes, like, get yourself to fuck <laughs> here. And I've never meeting for that, oi. They don't let me take free kicks. They don't pass the ball on the pitch. It was like a wee boy in the school. But that was him. What would the other three say to that? Just laugh. They were just looking. I was like, get him to they were the same, they were like, what are you talking about? Because they had that ego, and it, that's probably what made us as good, because they were all wanting to impress each other. Yeah. You know, and that's what made us as good. Could, could yeah. that be a problem, though, when there's so many big personalities? Well, Tommy got rid of Pierre. Tommy just left him out in an old firm game, which was unusual. They left him out in an old Why firm game. Why I just felt he wasn't playing well enough. Right. Didn't matter who your personality was, and if you don't do your job right, you weren't playing. Didn't matter if you're Pierre Van Hoydonk, Paolo Di Canio, Peter Grant, Paul McStay. Tommy had no problem believing anybody 
You know, I mean, so the big man not like that. No, 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 because they thought they were better than everybody else. Yeah. You know, they should be playing. So whether De Canio was playing and Van Hoy didn't think he was better than him, that was Tommy's choice. And listen, it wasn't a bad choice to have any of the day for, mm. you know, at that time. But no, he had no problems leaving them out. Some of them get the huff and think, oh, well, they're better than that. But listen, Pierre went to Nottingham Forest, didn't he? Mm. You don't go for Celtic. Right after uh, but you don't go to Celtic that, to Nottingham yeah. Forest, you know? Yeah. So you're leaving for different reasons. Yeah, no matter what, and that's no disrespect to Nottingham Forest at that particular time. Um, and I know he had the issues after that, but but he was a great boy. He was a fantastic boy. Sometimes misread, but a fantastic boy. But Tommy, no problem with dealing with Eagles. Absolutely not. Brilliant. Uh, Tommy eventually going 97. Uh, do you think it was a pure decision? 100%. When did he first come and say, yeah, I'm away? Well, I just knew what he was trying to do. He knew Celtic were going to stand still again. So he wanted to add to the Decanios and all that. He wanted to bring that quality of player in. And that was Tommy's... He wanted to do that. That's what he aim, his aim was. So I say he went for Ginola, ended up with Decanio, but he wanted to keep the level at that. He knew that's where we wanted to be. As a Celtic man, he wants the best players playing for Celtic as possible to play for Celtic. And Fergus just felt it wasn't the right thing, it wasn't the right to spend the money. And obviously made the decision on Tommy as well that he wanted to go in a different direction. I thought it was 100% wrong, but it proves... At the end of the day, Wim came in and done an unbelievable job, mm. you know, an, an unbelievable job. Most so the fact that he got Henrik in because he'd worked with Henrik and got Henrik and knew the price that he could get Henrik at yeah. because he knew they'd get out in Henrik's uh, contract. But for me, Tommy should 100%. I mean, if what he'd done for the club and what he was trying to build, I mean, no, it takes time. I mean, no, it's not always possible to get the best players, but there wasn't a phenomenal gap like there is nowadays, mm. you know, as in wages and what you were paying. So... Tommy wanted to go to that level, and I think with the people he tried to sign, as I say, Janolas and that, and ended up with the Canos, Toms, Van Hoydogs, um, and all this Cadetti. They were they were top top players at that particular time. Yeah. You know, was that part of your decision to leave as well? I'd said to them, it was funny because we went in pre-season, and with no manager, Davy was sort of looking after a wee bit with no manager. I had me said, but there was no bossman role at that particular time. But I'd made my mind up to leave Celtic because I thought if Celtic were going to move forward, that I had to move. I knew there was a couple of clubs interested, but that wasn't the decision I was making. I just felt as if Celtic were going to have to become a better team, a successful team as Peter Grant's time was up. So that was fine. So I went to pre-season with them and came back because Wolves, Mark McGee was the manager at Wolves and they agreed to sign us and everyone had agreed. And whoever came back, Mark had phoned, the club phoned us and told us to come back. So I came back and then Mark's phone must have got cut off. Just patched Just patched us when I came back. Um, two weeks I was left. And Limbo had known the deal was already done. They'd phoned Celtic, everything. And the deal was done. I think something happened with the chairman and Mark. And I think Mark ended up no longer losing his job after. They just patched us. Never even phoned us to say, this has happened or not happened. So it was about five or six years later before I, I met him again. Um, so that was disappointing. No disappointing for that because I'd come back. So it left me a wee bit of Limbo. Then I get the phone call. Celtic had to get back in. So obviously Celtic had played Easter Road in Henrik's first game. And then... I'm sure after we played Parma or something in a friendly for some reason and I played really well and Wim says to me after the game I want you to stay and I was like I've made up my mind to go I said don't say that because they'll ask for money for us now you know sort of thing because there was no bossman yeah. so no I'd like you to stay he said and I know it's a difficult decision because he said he'd made that similar decision when he was at Feyenoord with Ajax you know he felt it was time the time was right I said well I feel the time's right if Celtic are going to be successful my time's up here he said, but while you're here, you're going to be part of it. So that was fine. Then I played it, yet again, Muirton, as I call it, the old Perth, and went up to play in the cup there. And I think we won 1-0. Simon scored a from right, Simon Donnelly. 
and the fans were chanting my name behind the, the, the goal and whatever, you know, and I come on in the game. And um, done well in the game when I come on, we ended up winning 1-0. But I knew in my heart, in my heart, the time was right. So I went, went back home, we'd won. And then come back for training, and Jock Brown was there. Jock Brown walked by me and saw it, he went back to me. He said, listen, you've told us to keep us abreast if anybody phones. I said, Norwich site, I phoned, I said, I want to speak to him. He's like, what? I said, I want to speak to him. So, Angie, God rest her, the kit lady, I went round to Angie, see what Angie, a what a woman. And um, I went round to see Angie, and she said, where are you going, son? I said, no, and I'm just taking my boots because I'm doing something later on at a charity. But I knew it would be the last time I'd come back into Selic Park. Because I knew when I was driving down there, I wasn't coming back. Really? So I never looked back. Did you not even go back and say bye to everyone? No, no. Couldn't he? Couldn't he? Because I picked the boots up. And then carry the old street, and I just couldn't even look back to see because. But I was driving. Raymond was taking me all the way because I couldn't fly to Norwich because I didn't even know where Norwich was. But I said, "We'll find it." And I take my boots out that day, went to the bottom, I was just going by the school, and I never looked back. Never ever looked back to see it, and um, never went back to say goodbye. Played for Norwich. I'd already signed for Norwich before anybody knew I was even there. So every phone was coming after hinges the next day because I'd already done my medical. And everyone signed for Norwich. Got to Norwich at half two in the morning. <sighs> Friday morning and played for them on the Saturday but on the Friday people could not believe that I'd actually left Celtic and as I say for me it was the correct decision for the club it was the correct decision to say because if they were going to bring in the quality that they ended up bringing in that was the proper choice I was nearly 32 at the time so I had a great innings people say would you change it to the successful years absolutely not because maybe I wouldn't have played in the successful years maybe better players would have been in and I loved every moment of it heartbreaking at times all the emotions I possibly go through, through illness and injuries and whatever. Um, but uh, would I change it? Not in a million years. Is it, was it a sad day leaving to her? Yeah, yeah, I was breaking my heart, you know, laying in bed in Norwich that night, so what am I doing, you know? Um, but I just knew it was right, you know, yeah. you got a feeling in your belly. And I had a feeling in my stomach that was sitting. I, and I remember Angie made me, I've seen Angie obviously, I went back when they won the league and whatever. I was fortunate enough her season had finished. And I got back for the day they won the league, clinched the league at Celtic Park. And it was one of the greatest feelings I've ever had, you know, and I was very emotional with all that because it was great to see Celtic back winning things again. But I knew my time was right and just say, you leave Celtic, Celtic never leaves you. Brilliant. Uh, you later went back uh, to Celtic as a coach for Tony Mowbray. Was that a no-brainer when he gave you the call? It was interesting because obviously we were at West Brom and done really well with West Brom actually. We got relegated but. We played really, really well in the Premier League with a young group of players and Tony put a group of players together who were phenomenal and we played exceptional in that and we were very unfortunate to go down. And Tommy got the, uh, Tony got the call to come to Celtic, spoke about it and I wasn't sure in my heart. It was a big pull for me but my big concern was going to be that I didn't want to be going back as a cheerleader. You spoke about Tommy earlier on in Abbas and probably when I look back on the time I was there, I went the complete opposite. You know, I went the complete opposite. I didn't want to think, I wanted people to respect me as the coach now, not as a Celtic supporter. So yeah. I wasn't going to be jumping about like a madman. I wasn't going to be screaming and shouting and, you know, going out there and demanding this for the players. Because that was me as the player. And I just felt that wasn't in my position to be doing that. And I didn't want to do that. And that's the way it ended up. So I, I thought it was a tough time, but I wasn't myself 100%. And I regret that. I regret that. I should have been the Peter Grant without worrying about people thinking, oh, he's a cheerleader or whatever. Because I know I'm a very good coach, yeah. and I didn't. I just felt I was well, well within myself within that period of time, and I didn't enjoy it. What about like getting guys like Robbie Keane in that? Was that not quite a good sign? Well, I spoke to Robbie, Robbie in the summer, and Robbie said to get us to Celtic, blah blah blah, and he was laughing. I was like, "Well, we couldn't afford you, son." I said, "We'd walk to bring you back up, you know." 
and um, had me spoke to him, and he'd said, no, laughing. I thought more jokingly, you know, and anything else because I knew the finances he'd been on. And sure as fate, we went to get Rasmus, and, and, and he'd done very well, and we'd watched him, but that was the parameters we were in. Mm. But then all of a sudden we get a phone call to say we can get Robbie Keane in about an hour to go in the transfer window. That's not the way you do your business, I don't think, you know. And it made it so stupid, you know, because it should, well, why did we spend that on one of these boys? If we didn't need to do it, if we bring Robbie Keane in, we could have looked somewhere else and bought something else in. Because not as if we were flush, eh, the, the guys we were going to bring in, we'd rather spread it and brought another player for a different position. And for me, that summed up. And I, I was disappointed in it, you know, and I just, I just didn't sit well. I mean, we, we didn't play well enough, but as I say, probably culminating in uh, the St. Mirren game. But as I say, if we'd have played like the, in the St. Mirren game, like the way, I mean, we were four up near enough, four one, I think, at Aberdeen, and ended up being four four. Oh, no, no. You know, things like that. Because we were attacking. I mean, geez, oh, we played Aberdeen the first time, but the first game, you know, it was like watching Brazil. You know, it was like watching Brazil, and that was the way Tony wanted to play. But that was the, that was the way for us to play anyway, because we had Sean and Aiden and the wings, and was brilliant. Mm. You know, but we got Key in and whatever. So it was great. You know, we had fantastic players. You know, what was the returning point then? Because you said they started really well. Was there a wee? No, I just felt we weren't good at certain things. You know the Rangers game. Remember, if you remember the Rangers game, the referee phones up and apologises. No giving us three penalties. Three penalties. Did he? No one. No one. Three. You know. Um, and you're thinking, right, okay. So, and I just thought it started to change. I just thought it, but I knew in my heart, of heart, we weren't good enough at certain, even though it was in Scotland, I just knew there were certain areas we weren't good enough. Mm. You know, and I thought we need to be better at this, but you could just tell there was something missing, whether it was for us as a staff, you know, that just felt there was something missing. It didn't seem as if it was a close with us, the board or whatever. I just didn't feel that there was that. And maybe it was because Tony's the type of character he is, a fantastic man, but maybe the type he is, maybe, okay, go along with the flow, but other ones, if it had been Tommy, he'd have been fighting back and biting back, yeah. you know, and certain things, and I thought certain things happened that should not have been allowed to happen, certain things that were done that should not have been done. But, as I say, it was a privilege to go back, but I didn't enjoy one minute. Not one minute, no. How was that? How hard was that that night? Because you went back to Celtic Park, there was fans waiting there, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. Well, we got a phone call to tell, take the bus round the back way, and I was like, that will be right. We'll be going to the front gate in front of the supporters. We'll go and face them. We've embarrassed them. So let them face it out there, you know. Um, so we go out to the front. We come out the front, we go back in. <laughs> we go back to the front door. And we go out and get pelters. And I stood and spoke to the supporters, gave me dog's abuse. And I, but I'd said to them, I said, listen, if you're asking me to resign or anything like that, that won't be happening. If I get sacked, that's completely different. But me walk away from you, I'm never in a million years. What is it like to get sacked? Is it like? Horrible. Horrible. But I must admit, I was relieved. It was probably the happiest I'd been in that period of time. I didn't enjoy it. No. no there, was some, there was something missing in that period. And it hurts me to say that, but there was something missing. Um, and I didn't enjoy it one bit. Other coaching jobs you had, uh, and then you involved with the Scotland set up with Alex McLeish and Faddy. Proud to be part of the national centre? Listen, you play with your club. My dream was to play with Celtic. And you knew if you'd done well for Celtic, it was an opportunity to play for Scotland. So that was the exact same as a coaching. I wanted to manage Celtic, coach Celtic, play for Celtic, manage Scotland, play for Scotland. So they're all dreams you have, you know, whatever you have. So you get the call for like I was doing the 20s. Malky, Mackay had asked us to help with Scott. So we have done that. We went to Toulon with the boys and whatever. And then all of a sudden, Alec gets the opportunity to the job. And I get a phone call for Alec. I hadn't worked with Alec for five or six years. And I get a phone call and asked us, would I join it? I was still at Fulham at the time. So obviously I had to speak to Fulham at that particular time. 
and they were brilliant and they allowed me to go but I felt it was 10 days nearly every month so it was a lot especially working with the 23s because these young boys are depending on making decisions about their careers and all yeah. that so I was spending a bit of time away and it wasn't nice so I ended up when I joined with Alex um, the, the, the Fulham thing went in the, the summer and then I continued on that with the Scotland thing and really enjoyed it but completely different you know when the way things are now it wasn't like Scotland like when we played you turned up on a Sunday night and you were back after the game on a Wednesday now the completely different thing is you turn up on a Sunday and you're waiting the following Wednesday or something like that because you have the two games and whatever. And that's a long time, especially the way clubs are run now, yeah. who demand the players two days this, two days. So we turn up on a Sunday. I don't know why. Because we couldn't train it on Wednesday with the full group. Because of the recovery time. That they recovery had, time, yeah. but they're all separate. Yeah. And it was like individual programmes for everybody. And Graham Jones and that were phenomenal. They were unbelievable because they had to make sure everything was spot on. They had to make sure because... If one of the players get injured, come back into training a day early, we're over the fingers. We've got to pay the wages for the period of time they're out. Oh, do you? Uh, all, all these uh, things, you know, and the wages are on nowadays. Mm, it's, no, it's no 10 bob, mm. you know, and some of the clubs don't allow me to play in AstroTurf. I mean, you look at the Kazakhstan, you've one of your best players no playing, and young Ryan couldn't play because he's not allowed to play in AstroTurf because of your previous injury and all this sort of stuff. So there's all the different things. But we, at that particular time, we can never mention that. You know, that's what I felt for Big Alec in that respect because he's an unbelievable back of these players. You know, unbelievable. He's fantastic at it. And the press knew. They knew. But they're asking us. But they know the answer. They want, you to they say want that us that to say, yeah. no, like McLeish was saying this. And Alec, no, 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 sorry, that doesn't work that way. But then they would hammer you when certain things happen. And I thought it was ridiculous. I thought they were ridiculous during that period of time because they knew the answers they were trying to get. And instead of them printing it, they would be negative as if we were dumb and dumber in the respect of that oh, well, he may play, he may, may not play, because we don't know. Yeah. You know, why is he last minute? He's got, we're going to tell the world. I mean, it's like, I think, the things I find bizarre when you're playing that uh, qualifier, they put your, they put your, they're desperate to get your team so they can put it out. And I said, why are you doing that? Helping their team. You're helping the opposition. I'd love that, you know, if I was the opposition. But I don't see them putting their team out. Mm. So it's just simple, but, but so they can get a story over each other. And that was a big difference that I felt. You know, they were trying to get a story, but we get some phenomenal stories. We turned up in a place about three o'clock in the morning. And the next day there was a story about the one or two of the players had stayed up. Bear in mind, the two they spoke about were teetotalers. And we were getting stories like that, you know, come back. But you're having to answer them saying, you stupid, because see if you write it, the boy's going to sue you. Mm. And he's going to sue you because it's ridiculous, you know. Um, and some of the stuff was really poor. I love working with the boys. I love being on Who the train. Who impressed you, Peter, in that Scotland team? I think they're all top players, I must admit. I think they're all top players. I, that's why I'm saying to you, I think... We've got to realise there's a lot of good things with the Scottish players and the young ones coming through. There's a lot of them there and we have to nurture that. But I think we have to find a different way to give them a breather in the respect of we'd rather criticise than praise. I mean, I see all of McBurnley signs the other day there and everybody's hammering and saying he's not worth 20 million. I could say that about 99% of the signings during the summer mm. are not worth the money they went for. But we should be proud of the fact that this guy's going to the place for Scotland's going for 20 million. He's 21 years of age, 22 years of age. You've got Scott McKenna, 21, 22 years of age, you can talk about six, seven, eight million. And there's no doubt he can play in the Premier League. You know, I hope he stays with Aberdeen because you want the best players in Scotland. But that obviously happens with similar him, happened with Kieran. But we should be proud instead of being negative and say, great, hopefully he'll do well because that means another player in the Premier League, like young John's and John McGinn's done, started phenomenal on uh, the weekend. So all these guys we want, we should be praising them and helping them and giving them that confidence so when they come from Scotland, they enjoy it. Yeah. No coming here to be negative towards them. 
And I think that's what... And do the players find that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, 100% they do. 100%. They feel they're against the world, I think, when they're playing for Scotland. You know? Mm. Because it's all negative. Or they're trying to find a story that can be negative more than a story that can be positive. You know? And I'm not saying they're all like that. But there is a batch of them. Right. And some of them have got hidden agendas. No matter what they say, and they can kid their cell phone. They've got hidden agendas. You know, whether that's with players, whether that's with staff, whether that's with the manager. They've got hidden agendas. And it'd be, I'd be more if they come out and said that because you'd respect them more but they'll never do that because they can hide behind it oh I never done the headline or I never said this or I never said that be honest and truthful to yourself can you look somebody in the eye and say that was an honest an honest truth there and I bet you half of them couldn't they'd be turning away to be embarrassment because that's what I felt but they don't realise the boys are hurting is the team going on the pitch that's the team that's to be supported we are trying to organise them that's what our job is to the best but when the team go on the pitch you've got to be supportive of them but they can't be just supportive for 90 minutes, as in the respect of that. They've got to support them to build up, give them as much as they possibly can, yeah, yeah. make them feel as if they're proud to be playing for Scotland because there's a massive chance of them qualifying. And I'm delighted Stevie's got the job. He deserved it with the job he's done at um, Kilmarnock. And I know Alex Dyer really well. Alex was a BT in a minute West Ham. He's big pally, Alan Pardews. So Alex was a young man learning his coaching and whatever, and a fantastic, fantastic man. And um, as I say, I'm delighted for them and hopefully they can go on and get success and qualify. Do you think you should have got longer? No, because if Alec goes, I go. No, I'm saying Alex, as the team, the, the backroom team, you think you should have got longer? Absolutely, we do. You know, Kazakhstan, listen, the one thing when you look at the games, we turn on the games in Mexico and Peru and that to play against the best. How many times have we cried about playing against teams that mean nothing? We beat them and they say, oh, it was rubbish, why did we play them? We play against the best teams and we lose them and we say, oh, we've lost five out of seven. Oh, but we've played Portugal, you know. Mm. We've played Peru, we've played Mexico, you know. Want us to keep going? Belgium, do you want us to keep going? Tell us. You know, who are we playing against? You know, the ones we're supposed to beat, we beat apart. Israel away, we were hopeless. Thoroughly deserved the criticism for that. So you accept that all day long. Mm-hmm. Kazakhstan started the game poorly. 2 nothing down. We could have been 2 nothing up with Big Ole getting down the side and putting the ball across. But we lose. But look at the squad. Deputant at right back. Two young centre-backs. Graham Shinney, who I thought was an outstanding professional, an outstanding player, asked him to play at left-back but get crucified after the game. Made a couple of errors for sure, but ridiculous, that boy's professionalism and the way he was, didn't deserve that, you know. But that was your back four, you know, in the game. So, Graham hadn't played there for 18 months, yeah. but we asked him to do a job for us because Kieran and Andy were not available. So, uh, we things like that, you know, Ollie Burke was only in the team at Celtic, in and out, you know. Yeah. So, we were trying to build a team with players that wasn't really... Playing. playing together or, or hadn't even played together but we got to Kazakhstan thinking we'd seen a change on their management because we'd watched them all the way along and then with two months to from January onwards they changed everything they went more defensive more set up because we were hoping we'd have gotten the first time because yeah. we were very open two at the back near enough and we were thinking bloody hell we can exploit this all of a sudden they went with five three two so nothing surprised us and we told them the ball would get behind us early and whatever and they scored for it and they scored a wonder goal as well but for getting sacked on that result I know there was a wee bit, you could, I could feel there was near a real support base behind us there, mm. you know, for the staff. So yeah. I could feel that. So that's fine. You've got to accept that at times. So they were looking for another manager at a particular time. It didn't work out. They should have been proud of the fact that Alec was going back as manager because he was unbelievable for them before. But it wasn't their first choice in the respect to, I think it was Michael that was getting mentioned. Yeah, Michael and Michael, Michael was getting mentioned, which went a long time. I think we should maybe have looked more at that. How long should it take to get a Scotland manager in at that particular period of time? Because I'm, no, I'm sure there have been 100 guys falling over their face to try and get that job. 
100%. Alec got it, was big enough and strong enough to take it, you know. End up, they think it didn't work, fine. But I was obviously disappointed we didn't get more time for Last sure. question, mate. How, how frustrating was the, the call-offs? I can honestly say, we'd always, if I am talking, we'd go back to Graham Jones and that, so we knew a lot of them were going to be there and I knew a lot of them couldn't be there for different reasons. We yeah. knew that, so we, we understood that. But we can't come out and say the reasons why because there's still a game to come or they've got a game on a Saturday. So we're saying things like, yeah, what do we do? We put them in the squad. No, because if we put them in the squad, we've got to take him out Saturday because we know he's not going to be available because like Fletch's situation, Fletch was going to get a clean-up. That's not our job to tell you he's going to get a clean-up. That's the club's job to tell you he can't train in that period of time or in that 10-day period we need him to get an operation or whatever or clean up whatever it is or we need them to rest we can't argue with that because the SFA want to pay the wages which is phenomenal wages these guys are getting now so if he comes with us and pulls something or gets another injury and can't play you're playing it for six months if they're out for six months or anything like that so we go in the trust of the players and the players were excellent the players were saying oh they didn't want to play the players wanted to play there's absolutely <coughs> no doubt now we've spoken to them and seen them and face to face and told them and some would be honest enough and say listen I don't want to come anymore now because I feel as if that 10 days is important because it's only 10 days I get now Was that frustrating to people saying that? Well, yeah because that's what it is now because they make it a contract extension Yeah. and I know some managers that's actually said to the players I want you to get up the Scotland career Really? Yeah. Oh, but no I, listen I was involved in even with England and different nations they're all the same they'd rather they don't play for the national team because it's a hindrance for them because remember they're turning up on a Wednesday or a Thursday before a big premiership game on a Saturday again and they've yeah. not had their players mm. for a long period of time. That is the biggest change for me because they're away for the length of period of time with the clubs. That is the big problem now you have, that they're away for that and they can't get the preparation in. So the clubs are desperate to hold on to them or to try and make the bands, which we didn't allow. We didn't allow them to make the bands. We said, he's either in or he's out. Mm. That was, and we made the call on that. But we never come out and told the reasons why because it's not our job to do that. Yeah, right. And it's not, if the player wants to come and say, well, I'm not turning up because I'm getting this injury fixed or whatever. We can't tell the world they've got an injury. We can't tell them. That's not our job. Our job's to pick a group of players and deal with a group of players with. And it, listen, imagine I tell you, listen, by the way, you're only playing because Peter Grant's not available. I'd be delighted. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Uh, we want these guys to think they're first choice. Playing, yeah, yeah. You know, they're first choice. And that, listen, and it's up for the other ones to work out why they didn't turn. Perfect. Just coming to the end, uh, how, how do you look back on your career? I'd be pride, disappointment at times in the, the trophies and, and that I got at Celtic, obviously that was a hard time, but would I change any? Not one bit, not one bit. Um, probably the coaching period at Celtic, that was, that a, was, regret. Regret, that yeah. was a regret, but the rest of it, I've loved every morning, I've met some wonderful, wonderful people, opponents, everything, you know, and as I say, I'd have never done it, seen some wonderful places in the world, and if it wasn't for football, I wouldn't have been out of Chapel Hall in that respect, you know, because that was where it was, that was my life, that was my goal. And as I said, to pull on the Celtic jersey once, to pull on the Scotland jersey once, go to bed happy, put my head in the pillow, and the big box comes, I'll be as happy as Larry. And finally, in the management now, always wanted to be a manager. Yeah, well, when I'd done it at Norwich, I'd probably taken it too quick in the respect that I'd been an assistant for about five or six years at the time, and we'd been very successful, got cup finals and won cups and whatever. Then I got the opportunity to be the manager at Norwich, loved every moment, special, special people there and. Uh, Delia Smith and Michael Wynne Jones and people say if you're a manager you want to pick good people they were outstanding and when I decided to leave they were saying to me I, I should just take a few days off but I just felt the time was right for me I just I wasn't enjoying it 
probably travelling too much because you know what Norwich you've been doing in England oh, I was going and watching every game every night of the week but still going into the gym at half six in the morning so I was going out at two in the morning then up at half six I go to the, go to the gym and I just burnt myself out and I just wasn't enjoying it and I had two young boys in Lorraine in England mm. and I was just thinking something's I've got to give here and I decided to resign for the job and I just really enjoyed being the assistant then for a period because I was working in the Premier League for eight to ten years or whatever it was you know I was working with some special people Tony, Alan, Pardew, Big Alex um, so I was very fortunate the guys I'd worked with, yeah. you know, and I really, really enjoyed that. So then I got an opportunity right out of the blue to come back into management with Mike, and as I say, I was very fortunate, and I was really excited when I spoke to him more than anything else because I, I had not an inkling in the respect to who he was. I'd never spoken to him before, but he didn't use him for the game, and I spoke to Lorraine, she says, what do you want to do, cut the grass or manage a football team? There's only one answer, right. and that's and I'm delighted, and I'm working with a fantastic And I'll let us do this year? Yes. 100%. Good man. Thanks very much, Peter. Pleasure. Cheers, Pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.